what a lovely fellow. Ah, welcome to Tripod, a podcast about cinema's unofficial trilogies, three films which are not linked by the usual elements like characters or plot, but instead are connected by a director or writer or actor or sometimes much, much less. I'm Tyree. I'm Mathis. And, to- <laughs> and today we're delving into the mad, mad mind of Terry Gilliam with his first installation in his self-titled Imagination Trilogy. Time Bandits. The trilogy of imagination. Lots of uh, lots of talk on on the webs about like this being a trilogy, which mm. I was excited about because mm. it, it didn't feel like we were stretching. I didn't I didn't actually uh, pick up on too much of that chatter. I just saw that yeah he um he calls most of his movies trilogies. Another, well, he puts them into a trilogy. Another week where you didn't do your research. Clearly. I did plenty of research. Folks, I'm up against that. it here with this guy. Whatever, Mathis. Fucking <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> jerk. Like jerk ass. <laughs> what a song though, huh? Great song. George God, what Harrison. a mood to set at the end of this film. <laughs> I loved it. I was so excited. When God or the Supreme Beings wrapped up that scroll, yeah. I was like, oh yeah. I'm a him, my oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a him, my yeah. yeah. So good. Is Dream there any actual... Dream. <laughs> is, I was going to say, are there any actual English words in that song or is it kind of like a Hare Krishna kind of a... Um, the the chorus is sort of gibberish, um, which I think a lot of musicians were kind of getting into at that point. But, but is, the it, lyrics... is it George Harrison being? Is it kind of a religious? Like, is he is he channeling? Is it is it one of those ones? I'm not too sure what he's channel- channeling there, but I will say this: there are lyrics that are English in the song, and they're actually quite pointed criticisms of Terry Gilliam potentially. In what? Yeah, G- Terry Terry uh, talked about this in an interview. Uh, so I did do research, you jerk. I uh, see clearly. I got a, I got an interesting take you right dug, here. You dug up the dirt. The research was purely just gossip and uh, and vitriol. And yeah, dirt. I just picked up on all the tea that people were spilling yeah. around. Um, no, so George Harrison. Yeah, he wrote the song for this, and he's also one of the producers. He's like one of the financial backers. He mortgaged his house to get this film off the ground. Him and the other producer, they're like, we'll help you, Terry. They mortgaged the offices of Handmade Films, the offices, I think, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's more is, the point. Yeah, but, yeah, like, yeah, pretty yeah. insane. I'm getting confused. It was George Harrison mortgaged his house for Life of Brian, I think. Because mm. no one else would finance that, and George was like, I'll do it. I, that was <laughs> shit. Hang on. How would he say that? Um, it's from Liverpool, so he'd yeah. say, I'll back your film. I'll do it. <laughs> that was well. well, what a funny film. <laughs> oh, what a uh, nice film. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. So George Harrison, he was the producer of the film, which means, you know, he had some, he, you know, he, he got to have some creative input every now and again or like some, I don't know, some, some input on the film. And during post-production, he butted heads with Terry Gilliam a lot. And he, um, he compared him, I don't have the exact quote here, but he compared him a lot to uh, John Lennon. He was like, I've never met someone so bullish. Not since John Lennon. Mm. Uh, so he really butted heads with ter- Terry a lot because he wouldn't he wouldn't um, uh, he wouldn't give up any of his sort of creative control or anything. But there's the lyrics. It's the last sort of verse of the song. I'm not going to sing it, but uh, greedy feeling, wheeling, dealing, losing what you won, see the dream come undone, and most revealingly, uh, all you owe is apologies. <laughs> mm. uh, now I don't think George made a comment about where the lyrics come from, but. Uh, Terry or Terry Gilliam seems to think they were directed at him, and Eric Idle seems to think he's another one of the Pythons who worked at Handmade Films. Um, he also thinks the reason George sort of left or discontinued his work with them was pretty much because of the post production on. Oh wow! This really? bad boy. 
He was like, I've had it. <laughs> <laughs> I see those, those lyrics. I could, I could kind of, except maybe for the last one, I could put on to Kevin. Like you could put that onto his greedy feeling, wheeling dealing. So as in, like he's with the he's with the time bandits. I could see it directed at the time bandits. Yeah, not and Kevin then, though. But then the, what's the next one? Heroes. Uh, losing what you won. Losing what you won. See the dream come undone. Yeah, so I'm thinking that's more about um the time bandits than. But it's kind okay. of both. Yeah, I mean that's the, the last. What's the last one? Uh, all you owe is apologies. See the dream come undone. All you owe is apologies. Yeah, I guess it could be both is the clever thing. I could see that being yeah. applied to the time bandits at the end of the film for well, sure. Well, that was that was George Harrison's genius. I love it's, it. Uh, you know. His best song ever written. Um, <laughs> it's a really know, good song. Do you know, we've obviously referenced The Simpsons a lot, but do you know what's crazy is this morning I was having breakfast and I was mm. like, I'm going to watch an episode of The Simpsons, just an old one, like a random one. I, I haven't done it for a while. Mm. I just put a random episode. How did you pick a random episode? I, ra- I picked a, a random shuffle? episode because no, well, I you went. Just go in and click. Uh, well, click. it was random in the sense that I didn't know what episode I was going to watch going in. Yeah. And I sat down and I flicked back and I went to like season four, and then I went to season five and I saw Homer Goes to College, which is one of my favorite episodes. So I was like, I'll watch that mm. one. And do you know that is the one, as according to Simpsons Wiki or whatever I'm looking up now? Oh no, no, there are more, but it's still mm. there's five episodes where this happens. It's a pretty um, small amount yeah. of episodes. Five episodes where this happens. Mm. The couch gag. Can you guess what it is relevant no. to this? It's the Monty Python foot smush. Ah. Which, and it's the first one that wow. it, he appeared in. It was in Homer Goes to College, Lisa versus Malibu Stacy, another Simpsons clip show, Simpsons 138th episode Spectacular, and at, at Long Last Leave. Wow. Not only is not only is um, the foot gag in it, yeah. but then obviously the nerds that he meets are like, we are the mates, they'll say, mate, 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 mate. Do you think, that, do you think the and couch gag like, came out of that? Reference? Yeah, I think yeah. so, for sure. Yeah, but smart. I was like, what are the, ch- like five, yeah. and how many episodes of Simpsons are there? Like over 500 now, surely. Over like 7,000. Yeah. yeah. So I was, I was. Kind there of, are more episodes bizarre. of The Simpsons than there are grains of sand on the earth. <laughs> more stars in the universe. <laughs> yeah. Just a sad, terrifying thought. Um, that's pretty cool though. That yeah, so they do the, it five times. Yeah, five I always times. liked that one. I always liked the smush noise. Mm. Um, you can go, I talked to you about this. You can find that foot, the foot that Terry Gilliam used for that gag. You can find the original painting in a museum in London. I'm you saw where. this, didn't you? you I didn't get to see it, sadly. It was too oh, far okay. away. And like the only reason like too we Too far wanted... away in the museum? You just couldn't walk to the... No, 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 no. I didn't, we didn't get to the museum itself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just one of those things where it's like, we, we really wanted to go to that museum for the foot when I was in London last. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. Um, so he but there based are so many off... other museums to see. We're like, well... Are we gonna, you know, give up the the Nat History Museum just for this one foot? <laughs> eh, maybe, well, but then we just didn't. We couldn't be. It was too far away, and we're like, eh. we drew stars. Next time, and, yeah, fair. Yeah, time bandits. The bandits of time. Um, in a way, Terry Gilliam is a time bandit. <laughs> what did you, what did you know about this film going in? Did you? I had not heard of this or either of the any of the three that we're gonna watch for this trilogy. I knew there were some pythons in it, and I knew it was an early Terry Gilliam movie. Mm. But, and I knew it had like a cast of um, uh, little people, um, and that was pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. And then I knew the poster. I'd seen the poster a few times because Criterion did a 4K re-release, right, right, um, which is sick. And yeah, the poster is so amazing. Every time I see it, I'm like, yeah. How do they do 4K re-releases of films that were like so fuzzy? 
Uh, that's a question for Martin Scorsese, uh, and probably I don't know, like the Gucci family, because they they do this from time to time. Uh, There's got to be limitations on. I what think they, they find actually... the original negatives and they reprocess them with modern techniques. That's insane. So, like, because you get the original negatives and you make copies, because you never want to work with the originals, I guess, because right they get destroyed or whatever. Yeah. But then they go in. I mean, nowadays there's so much you can do with like AI to heal mm. images. Uh, so, yeah. but um, when was it? I think it was it was pretty recently as well. It was like 2020 or 2022 even. Wow. That this thing got a re-release, which is cool. Well, there's talk as well of um, 2019. I think there was the first publication of it, but it might come out. Like it's obviously nothing's happened. Mm. COVID probably got in the way, but um, mm. apparently Taika Waititi's attached to direct a miniseries yeah. based on the Time Bandits yeah, for yeah, Apple yeah. TV. Yeah. But I don't know if that's still happening. Obviously that's four years ago, but I think there's mm. been like slowly like little articles pop up about it here mm. and there. Yeah, um, I have heard that. Um, but no no little people. I want to recast it with just, reg- well, with just taller people. Oh, really? Yeah. How come? I've no idea. I don't know. This is, the, this is a weird thing where it's like, it, I, I don't know why. Because that seems pretty integral to the movie. Because mm. it's it's not like they're playing dwarves or like mm. mystical fairy tale creatures. They just, I mean, they they they're workers for the divine being. Or yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but similar to how uh, Kevin Smith filmed Black and White, it was more of more of just a like a logistical reason they cast dwarves, right? Because they wanted someone the same height as the kids. And I'm like, this will work. Yeah, and they want. Yeah, they wanted like. It was a really. Funny it wasn't like they that, were like, oh, we need we need uh, people who are smaller because we're we're, ca- we're casting like fairy tale dwarves or whatever. Yeah, no, exactly. So, Gil- Gilliam, I mean, Gilliam said that they were mythical creatures in the sense that they were like gods' workers. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he did say something um, like the wording was funny, where he was like, "We wanted someone who we wanted um, characters who would be around the same height as the kids, so mm. that so that um, kids could like get on board with the film and." But there was still an adult presence, so we just cast, you know, little people yeah. with like, and he said like weathered faces, like older, you know, so they looked, old, <laughs> yeah, they were adults, yeah. obviously. Um, but I was like, oh, brutal. Um, <laughs> They've seen a lot. Yeah. No, but to my, uh, what I, to to round off this point, um, uh, so it, it's like it's in a way, it's like it's it's pretty good representation, right? Having yeah, like, well, they're yeah, not exactly. playing. Uh, stereotypical roles, which yeah. is what a lot of little people are trying to avoid, is like being typecast as um, either jokes or, or like literal dwarves. Yeah, in like a Creature, fantasy movie. Yeah, creatures, and this happened. This yeah. happened to Snow, the Snow White movie. They're doing like a, yeah. a live action Snow White movie. And they're all they're all like dwarves. Yeah, and so I guess I don't know why. I think they wanted to like. It's one of those weird things where they wanted to avoid. Um, uh, appearing like ableist or something like that. I'm not mm. too sure. Or like being stereotypical. But then a lot of like small actors are like, well, n- well now we don't have, there's oh, seven yeah. jobs we don't have now as well. <laughs> That's so tricky. It's, it's tricky territory, I guess. But I agree. Like I can, yeah. I, I was re- reading articles and reading <clears throat> interviews with the the men who played uh, the the Time Bandits and they were saying that it was such a nice, like kind of liberating yeah. feeling to, to play characters that there was no, um, yeah, there was no like, ulterior purpose for them to be mm. little. It was just that that's what the movie called for. And it wasn't yeah. that they were playing, you know, cause all of you look at on these guys, IMDBs mm. and they're like all in, so many of them are in like labyrinth or the dark crystal mm. or star Wars. Mm. And like, obviously getting like good work, but yeah. like they were playing R2-D2 or Ewoks purely because stuff, of their height. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Kenny Baker was in it. Um, 
a lot of a lot of them did work like that. So this mm. would have been kind of fun to just be, you know, t- time bandits, criminals through time, like just like, you know, rapscallion yeah. kind of characters. Sick costumes too. Amazing costumes yeah. kind of gathered throughout time. I think the costume designer did a great job of being like Who was figuring it? out. And I, I think James, James Ackerson. Yeah. Yeah. Nice work, he did James. a great job. They, yeah. um, they cast six of them as well as like apparently to be like, this is kind of like the Monty Python, like the, oh. you know, um, they, they were like as a, as a. As a, um, what's the word? Not placeholder. As like a representation of the Monty Pythons. Oh, troop. Uh, yeah, troop. In, yeah. You know, si- that six of them. Yeah. Um, there was a seventh one though in the script. Oh, re- oh yeah. He was working yeah. for the evil guy, right? No, he was working in the, his name was like Horseface or something. Yes, no, he was, he was oh, part he was of the, the evil, evil guy. Yeah, well, he was part of oh. his clan. You, there's a, there's a, there's a shot in the, um, Halls of Darkness or whatever oh, it is that where okay. you see him. Right. But they, they, they cut. A lot of his lines for time and okay, um, never mind things that. like that. Yeah, All right, that's fine. That's chill. Horse flesh or something. Horse flesh. That yeah. sounds right. Yeah. Um, oh, man, there's so much to unpack in this one. I know. I thought you. I I thought as soon as I saw the trailer, I was like, I'm sure Matt will enjoy this. I did not see the trailer. I just went yeah. in. I watched it a couple nights ago, um, and yeah, I did enjoy it. I I I'm. I. It's kind of like the Leone films where I've just kept thinking about it. <laughs> I don't know why. Like. And I think it's Can't because, get it out of my head. No, I think it's because part of me is like, you know, <clears throat> yeah, part of me really wants to like establish a career where I like create like fairy, fairy tales, fantasy stories, like in this, in this vein. Like, uh, so it's like, it was, yeah. a, it was, I didn't expect much going in. I didn't know that it was like a typically like a kids or a family film. I, did, mm. I had no idea. I thought it was actually mm. going to be way more heady than I, like, I, I, cause I remember seeing the only other Gilliam film I've seen apart from like Life of Brian and stuff, I think is the, um, the Don Quixote one that we saw at Miff. Oh yeah. Yeah. The Death and of Don I, Quixote. I, I thought that was yeah. interesting, but I definitely was like kind of, um, I don't know, intimidated by it or something. It was just like a lot. I just didn't understand a lot of what was going on. A lot of, yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, I think the part of that was there's so there was so much um, built up tension around the release of that film. Yeah, because like right. he'd been trying to make it for so long, and then yeah. finally it was here. But number of... one, it didn't get very good marketing, and mm. like he complains about that. That's the his biggest gripe with that is like no one mm. knew it was even made, mm. uh, and he was like only four people saw it in in Melbourne. That was it. It was yeah, but he was like uh, so. There's all this built up tension around the release of that film, and then it came out, and I was like, oh yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, I think yeah. for me, I think I think I was just probably just a bit bored in it. Like I was, it's just like a bit, three it was, hours. Yeah. It's a problem that I have with most of his movies, even this yeah. one. It's like uh, the analogy I use is sometimes when you're watching his movies, you feel like you either feel like you're the time bandits on the ogre's ship, laughing mm. along with them like you're part of the crew, going, mm. "Yeah, hell yeah, this is an amazing adventure." Mm. And then other times you feel like the time bandits sitting along at the table with Napoleon, just sort of falling asleep to his yeah, drunken yeah. rambling. You're like, oh my God, this needs to actually... That's the thing. Come the, on. The, I think there was, there's definitely some, uh, having just come off the Kevin Smith trilogy, uh, yeah. you know, he's like, I cut my shit to the bone. It's <laughs> like, I think there is definitely some stuff that you could adjust with this um, and and cut down a little bit. Um, mm. But obviously I think that's part of Gilliam's, like, you know, he, he I, I got this quote that he said... Um, he was having a lot of, you know, arguments with their um, producer and kind of manager, Dennis O'Brien. Dennis O'Brien, yeah. Where he was saying, um, uh, at the end of the film, I'm a crazed person. The film is my child and I'm its mother badger. Everybody's a threat to it. There was, there was a point where I threatened to burn the negative. I had reached breaking point and I said, if you're going to insist on those cuts, I'm destroying the whole thing. I've made it. 
I can destroy it. <laughs> which I made you. I can destroy yeah, which is you. A pretty wild, um, wild thing to threaten after just making a you know five million dollar film, which is obviously very cheap. People thought that this was like when they saw it, they were like, "That's got to be like a fifteen twenty million dollar film," mm. uh, because it looks like it's incredibly, I think, incredibly well made and looks quite amazing. Mm. But no, I think ultimately when I watched it, I was just like, I was just. It made me feel like nostalgic, even though I hadn't ever seen the film. It mm. made me feel like it was the kind of film that I would have like found on a VHS in my at my nana's place when I was a kid, or like seen on the yeah. TV there during the day and just yeah. kind of watched a movie during the day, yeah. what, like you do when you're eight years old, kind of thing. Yeah. And I was just like, "This is rad. This is all I need a movie to be." Sometimes yeah. it's like, "This is I, like, yeah, times." Just vaudeville adventures. To yeah, time. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Times where it was slow for sure, but like I think the Python element element helped it so much where it's like every few scenes there is because it is very much like a chapter book kind of anthology story of like through time where mm. each set piece is like a new thing but there was like you know Sean Connery is going to show up John mm. Cleese is going to show up Eric yeah. Idle is going to show up I was like I was just like yeah this is yeah. great yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I did love all that yeah I think the nostalgic part that was there for me as well and I think is because so much of it felt like a Monty Python movie and they wanted mm. to distance them, themselves from that um that sort of uh, label. They didn't mm. want to be a Python film, which makes sense because, you know, it's only got uh, two of them in it or three of them in it, I guess, because Terry uh, directed it. Um, but yeah, it, it, a lot of the, I mean, it's, it's a lot of the gags are in there, you know, like even, even down to the giant stomping on the house, like it just reminded me of the foot gag. And yeah, it reminded me as well of like a uh, British kind of like puppetry comedy, like in um, uh, Hitchhikers kind of thing. Yeah. Like it's just something off yes. in the background, like, oh, <laughs> just like the noises, yes. Yeah. You could always hear like Terry doing like some kind of voice in the background. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you know? Is here's a little fun fact. You yeah. know that? Are you familiar? Have you watched um, uh, the Meaning of Life much? Do you know that one? Very yeah, well? yeah. That's the, I've, I remember Dad brought home the four disc kind of box set okay. of the Python nice. films, and we watched them as kids. But that was one that we watched. I think the we watched uh, Life of Brian. Yeah. Um, Holy Grail a lot. Yeah. And then we we didn't watch much of life uh, meaning of life and now for something completely different kind of thing because yeah. they were kind of more sketchy. Yeah, weird, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I watched the, I watched Grail and uh, now for something completely different a lot. They oh, were okay, yeah. two favorite ones. Yeah. Um, and then I, I I didn't even realize they did a TV show. And so once I realized they were just rehashing skits, yeah, I was right. like, oh, that's what that movie is. Um, uh, no. So do you remember that scene? It's like an odd segment uh, where like it's called Find the Fish. Like Michael Palin plays this weird host who's like, and now we're playing Find the Fish. And then like it's just this weird skit with like Graham Chapman like just saying, where is the fish? Do you remember this bit? No. No? Because there's this weird, it's fucking bizarre. And then like <laughs> Terry Jones, the other one of the other ones, he has these massive long arms and he's wearing this weird suit. And he's like, wind away, that fishy goo. <laughs> Makes no fucking sense. But then, like, out of nowhere, this butler shows up and he's wearing this massive, like, this weird elephant mask. And he's oh. just going, <laughs> just, like, wobbling into the scene, not saying anything. But then if you look really closely, that thing that gets squashed in the house by yes. the giant is the elephant. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I, I saw that. I was like, what is that mask? I was like, exactly. what are you You just want to, like, get binoculars so and zoom in on apparently it. Apparently, like, it's, a, it's a troll. Apparently, like, they were meant to be a family of trolls. Trolls, right. But, yeah, you're That's right. The it's, material got, like, they weird, they like, it's got some yeah. weird elephant trunky kind of, weird, like, yeah. face thing. I mean, this thing was made on a shoestring budget, so mm. I can I can imagine they'd be, like, uh, recycling lots of, lots of material and... and uh, 
props and costumes from other yeah. stuff. But we yeah, sh- we should. Um, it's five million dollars, I think, to make this. Five USD. million dollars gross, Shoe like string. just over forty-two million or something. Yeah, insane. it did well. Did well in the U.S. Apparently Very not well. super well in the U.K. Yeah, um, I, I looked up the I looked up the box office mojo thing. Mm. Um, I shouldn't give away our trade secrets. That's how we get our information here. If people know there's uh, anyway, uh, I'll drop the bit. Um, yeah, got like the 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 worldwide gross is something like two thousand dollars. It says on there, which doesn't make sense to me. What? Because I'm like, so it played in like what one or two screens <laughs> around the entire world. But yeah, That's apparently insane. it only made like because I, I I thought I got confused because I thought it made like forty million domestic and then forty million worldwide, and I was like, no, no, that's forty million total. So like, what was the international gross? And it was only like two thousand bucks. That's that wild. could just be the you know not being did, did insufficient you, data or whatever. But before yeah. we break down a little bit of the, what the story is actually about, did you hear? <laughs> before we break down mentally. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> did you? Did you hear? Um, did you hear the story about the test screenings and how it helped kind of Terry fight for the ending and what happened there? I did, yeah. So I love the, that. The the love the, that. the test screening that they did, um, one of them that they did was the sound was like botched, where it was like, oh, and I didn't hear this. Okay. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so this, the sound, this this is a story from Terry himself, where he was like, you know, because the ending is quite controversial with the the parents exploding. Spoiler alert. Um, and so he said he was really fighting for this because mm. he was like, no, the parents have to listen to their kid. And they don't, so they need to learn a lesson, and it's mm. got to be a harsh lesson. So you know, it's got they've got to learn the hard way, kind of thing. And that's what the film's about. Mm. And so, um, but Dennis O'Brien was like, "No, we cannot have the parents just die, and yeah. then the camera pulls out, and that's It'll it." Lose the audience. Yeah. So anyway, they yeah. did a test screening, and the sound was completely botched. So it was like all the sound was like <laughs> like that, which you can imagine, like the the pace of this film plus the randomness of it, yeah. like the comedy wasn't landing, obviously, because yeah. the sound was completely dead. Mm. And so people just started leaving in droves. Yeah. And so um, they filled out these cards saying when their favorite part of the film was. And mm. it was like, did you like the beginning? Did you like the middle? Did you like the end? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It was very unspecific. It's just like kind of moments in the film. And heaps of people ticked the ending. Mm. Um, and so the the, the um, firm that was collating all of this data just uh. got, oh, they really like the ending. <clears throat> Terry, meanwhile, <clears throat> got the hard data, which were the cards that they filled out, people like giving suggestions and stuff. And they were saying, we like the ending because it, we could leave. Like it was over kind of thing. He never showed those cards to Dennis, the, the yeah. producer. Yeah. And so all that they got back from the firm was like, hey, people love this ending. And they were like, well, I guess we got to keep it. So well, you like, win then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so Terry was like, yeah, I never, uh, never, never showed that to Dennis. I just yeah. kept it to myself, basically. Terry likes to talk about, um, we're on a first name basis with Terry. Oh, uh, yeah. Terry likes to talk about. TG. TG. Hey. Hey, Gil. Yo, yo. Hey. <laughs> I got nothing. Um, yeah, he likes to talk about how uh, kids would be the proof in the pudding for him mm. when it came to uh, fighting for the or defending this ending because mm. the kids loved the, well, A lot of the, the boys loved the fact that the parents blew up and died. And they're like, yeah. Whoa, no more parents. Yep. No more bedtime. He's free. Yeah, he's free. Yeah. And he, he can be is. Peter Pan forever. I'm, I was enjoying that ending um, even as an adult. I was like, yeah, those parents suck. Yeah, they were pretty lame. Yeah. Yeah, they were, yeah. Really well played. Hey, did you notice <clears throat> we have a returning, well, we have two returning stars. That um, was such an intense cough. Was it? <laughs> yeah. In the mic or like? <laughs> Just generally, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've done worse. Um, did I ap- notice? Apologies, listeners. Did I notice what? We have two returning stars to this yes, one. Sean I, Connery, obviously the biggest ooh, one. Who's the other one? Hang on. He's Wolbach. No. What? 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 
Oh, I thought you meant Womack. The no, guy. no, no, no. I'm oh, just saying okay. Womack because he says you say he's Womack. He's Womack. He's Womack. He's Womack. Yeah. And, he, and at the end, he's like, <laughs> laugh. And he's at the end when he's the firefighter, he's like, laugh. we should go to Maui. <laughs> <laughs> Good. You and me. Maui. Maui. Um, no, it's him. And then. the other one? Hang on. Let me think. Let me think. Um, smaller part. Smaller part. What trilogy? Well, I might give it away. No, no, no. Come on, come on, come on. Uh, the, 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 um, the Cornetto trilogy. Oh, I was going to say probably because the British films. Uh, oh, is it? Oh, um, um, the guy who plays Slughorn. Yeah. Jim is Broadbent. Jim Broadbent. Yeah. So he's, what's, who's he in Tornado again? Uh, so he's, uh, he's the sergeant. He's oh, sergeant yeah. Bottomman. In Hot Fuzz. Yeah. In Hot Fuzz, yeah. yeah he's yeah, in this. Yeah. yeah it's yes. crazy seeing him so young. This is the youngest yeah. I've ever seen Me him. Me too. Yeah. Me too. I thought he was just an old man forever. That was one of my favorite yeah. scenes that but opening was like where Benjamin he was Button. like, the game show was called Your Money or Your Life. Yeah, and they just dip you in custard. <laughs> well, Such a co- Krusty the Clown show. It's yeah. so weird. That husband was definitely dying. Like he was- Yeah, that, just like, drowning. The, yeah, just drowning. And he's already had a broken leg from like probably like a previous game oh, or something. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. It's just I just love that he was just hanging above the, the vat. Just God. I bet, um, I bet, uh, is it James Wan? I bet he watched that and went, oh, that sounds like a good movie. And he invented Saw based off of that. <laughs> I bet that's where he got it from. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, anyway- we should we should give a little bit of context for what this movie is actually about. Uh, yeah. So it follows little ten or eleven year old Kevin. Yeah. Um, living in kind of lower middle class England with mm-hmm. his parents who um, are more obsessed with kitchen appliances. Looks uh, like he lives in Privet Lane. It does. Yeah. Very he? Potterish kind of yeah, yeah little housing estate. Um, makes sense. Like they both follow a very like archetypal heroes sort of journey and return in a lot of ways. Kevin rules, by the way. Kevin's sick, yeah. Kevin is He great. reminded me. Did he remind you of James from James and the Giant Peach? Oh, I was getting yeah, big sure. James energy. I, now, he didn't, but now that you said that, because I had James and the Giant Peach in my head when I was watching this, so it's funny that- It's another yeah, good comp, yeah. Yeah, it is a good comp. Um, but yeah. much like James, he's kind of living this unhappy life with his parents who- um, Or losers. Who sucked losers, up in consumerist culture. Exactly, <laughs> and they, you know, they've covered all their furniture in plastic and they're just talking about what their neighbours have and what they don't have mm. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and they're just concerned with Kevin getting to bed and they're, they're the kind of parents that are like, we feed you, we 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 clothe you, we could put you in school, that's enough. No no more effort on our part needed. Yeah. Um, so Kevin is this great, uh, smart, funny little kid who really loves his his history Mm. Uh, and loves, you know, um, especially like kind of military history and things like that. And so um, he goes to bed and we find out that there is basically, he doesn't know this at this point, but basically there's like a time hole in his cupboard mm. um, where uh, first like a knight on a horse bursts through, but then the next night a, uh, a, a band of time bandits um, crashes mm. through. And yeah. basically I love, I love, because this is the thing, this is the kind of film where it's like, the kid is just thrown into this chaos mm. and you just, he just goes with it. Even though he's terrified. I just like the idea that this is a, like, it's not, he doesn't go, he doesn't get the choice of like, Hey, come with us kid. Like first up, it's like they literally, they burst into his room and they're like, get him. And they start yeah, like beating yeah, yeah, him yeah. up. Like yeah. these, you know, these time bandits just jump on him and start like grabbing him and pulling Kill him. And, him. Yeah, <laughs> and then he gets caught up in their kind of, um, they're like escapade where, you know, they're being chased essentially by God yeah. because they've stolen this one, one of, I think one of the coolest time machines that I've seen in terms of like, it's very simple, but I just like the idea that these, these time bandits have this map yeah. that is representative of the fabric of the universe, which yeah. they helped make because yes. they're like God's underlings. 
and it's the only map that shows all of the holes in time. Yeah, I'm a so, sucker for maps in production. So design. good, right? And maps I love are always so cool. I love how little um, they care about the map in terms of how little they take care of it. Like yeah, it's folded it's all, up, it's wet yeah. all of the time. Like it's such an important thing, but they're just like it's just treated like trash. Yeah, yeah. Um, but their job is to go around through time and fix all of these holes in the in the fabric of time. Mm. But as um, as the main time bandit says, my, his name escapes me at the moment, but he's like, why go and fix them when we can go, you know... Um, we can plunder treasure. Plunder treasure yeah, and get stinking ex- rich kind of thing. They so, want to exploit the whole... Yeah, so uh, they're robbing the famous thing. people from history and then disappearing through a time hole that takes them to a time before the robbery even happened. Yes. And Kevin gets swept up with this uh, and over the course of the film basically meets a bunch of his heroes. He meets uh, Robin Hood. He meets... He meets um, uh, Napoleon, he mm-hmm. meets King Agamemnon. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, basically, yeah, the, the, the hilarity and adventure ensues. Hilarity ensues. Uh, yeah. And I was hook, line, and sinker. You were wrapped up. I loved it. Yeah, that's it. All right, that's the episode today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, takeaways are Matt loved it, uh, and that's pretty much it. Um, that premise you just gave was sort of the hook that got the writer Michael Palin, another Python member, mm. who appears in this one. Quite a bit. Uh, that's the thing that got him hooked on the project. So um, he explains it as Terry Gilliam coming to his coming into his house and just saying, "I got this idea. Do you want to write it?" And the, the idea was like basically, essentially, um, bandits who can steal things in a certain time period yep. and then go back in time before the crime happened. Yeah, and assen- essentially absolving them of the. How's that, the crime. boys? Four hundred years before the bloke who's just been robbed has ever been born. <laughs> um, but it's interesting as well because uh, it's like Leone's trilogy. Like, very much like that, he wanted to make Once Upon a Time in America. Yeah. Gilliam wanted to make Brazil. Yeah. After he made yes. uh, Jabberwocky, which was kind of the first one he directed, and then Life of Brian in, like, I think, 79-ish? Yeah, that's late 70s. right. Yeah. Uh, and, and he went to um, Handmade Productions with um, Dennis O'Brien as the kind of, you know, manager, and he was like, I want to make this film Brazil. Um, much like Time Bandits, I understand we're going to find out next week, but it's like, you know, a, a lot about the same kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, I want to make this film. And he was like, no one's going to want that. And he was kind of right. No yep. one really wanted, was interested in Brazil. And so as a pivot, Gilliam was like, well, I'll make like a family film because mm-hmm. no one refuses family films. <laughs> Everyone refuses Time Bandits. <laughs> so that's why they had the funding from Harrison and O'Brien to be like, okay, well, no one's going to produce this. We'll, we'll do it ourselves. But he, yeah, you're right. He went mm-hmm. to O'Brien to be like, okay. This is this is the new this is the new idea. So he made mm. this so that he could then yeah. get the credits to make being, Brazil. Yeah, being in the Python troop is sort of like a monkey's paw wish in a way. Mm. Because he I guess if he wanted to make a movie, if he just said, I want to make another Monty Python movie, so long as he could get, you know, the gang back together, everyone would probably green light it. But mm. the fact that he's not one of the big names like John Cleese, uh no none, no one in Hollywood wanted to back his film. They were like, mm. What? Terry Gilliam? Mm. Never heard of him. Mm. Get him out of here. Yeah. And then a big foot smushes on him, something like that. They, they actually had to put Cleese in the film yeah. to, to like help get the funding over the line because yeah. they were like, well, if Cleese isn't in it, no one's really going to care. Exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, they need a big name. Michael Palin wasn't big enough. He was going to play Robin Hood. Yes, that's that? right. Yeah. And then Michael Palin was humble enough to go, all right, I'll give it to John. All right, I'll give it to the tall one. <laughs> How good was his hat? Dude, yeah. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. Yeah, it was great. I, I was so surprised to see... Because all the costumes seem so weathered and worn down. I thought he'd be dressed rather similarly to the other, um, to the merry men, you know, quote unquote merry men. Mm. But yeah, his his 
costume looked like something out of like Robin Hood, Man in Tights, or whatever it's called. Mm, you know? Like it looked yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Um, you know the story behind his characterization? Oh, he did, he, boasted, he based it on some duke or something. Yeah. What was it? So he based it off the Duke of Kent, which is like <laughs> sort of like anathema to who Robin Hood's sort of like meant to be. Okay. He's sort of like a man of the people. You know, he's like he steals from the rich and gives to the poor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he played. He like for whatever reason, John Cleese was sort of cat like arrested by not physically arrested. John Cleese was interested in. Um, the Duke of Kent, because he'd go to these football matches and the Duke of Kent would come out and like shake all the footballers' hands and be like, hello, you're playing football, do you? Yeah, Johnny Good. Oh, very good. And so I was like, I, I want to do that. That sounds funny. Because he just thought the the weird ceremony of it all. Yes. That no one really understands, what, like in Britain, understands what do why you we do? do this. Who are who you? Who you are. Yeah. Like, what, why what do, do you, we give you what's such your reverence? interest in sport? <laughs> yeah, why do we give you such reverence? What is this ceremony we're doing? Yeah, right. So he just wanted to, you know, encapsulate that in his character, which works so well because then he's going around to all the dogs going, and you're a robber. Yeah, you? every, he goes to the yeah, six dwarves and just says good. the same thing. Yes, have you met the poor? Yeah. Ah, uh, yes, uh, not a penny to their name, but well, they're poor, you see. So, <laughs> yeah, quite jolly good. And yeah. then it like, it wraps up with him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I watched it with my brother and we lost it when he's like, the dwarves run off or whatever. Yeah. He's like, what awful people. Yeah, he's like, he's like, <laughs> he's very, sort of very, very, very good to meet you. <laughs> What terrible people. people. Yeah, and then his facade just drops. It sort of it sort of plays into the theme a little bit in a way. He's this sort of I don't know. I'm I'm thinking, Maddie. I'm I'm just thinking. I got a lot of thoughts on what this movie means mm. and sort of how it plays into Terry's uh, oeuvre. Yeah, I got a couple different tangents of what it kind of is talking about. Okay. I think one of them is based around the kind of futile and like toxicity of like pursuing just money. Mm. Um, and wealth and things like that. Like yeah. you see that in the parents and you see that in um, in Napoleon in the sense of like him just kind of pursuing power mm. because of like his his damaged ego. Yeah. And then even in Robin Hood, who's like, he's technically like a heroic figure where it's like, well, he's at least pursuing money to give to the poor, mm. but he's not doing it as a good person. Like he's a terrible, like he's, his band of merry men are literally like assaulting the poor as they give them their money, as they give them <laughs> yeah. these trinkets. And he's he's not virtuous in the way he's doing it. He's he's kind of um, he doesn't seem. It's like the Duke not, of Kent thing. It's where it's like wh- like why are you actually doing this? Yes. It's sort of you're just you're so in, you're inhabiting the it's role almost of like this it's, character. Yeah, not really. The intent doing it out of your own. Yeah, the intent behind his charitable giving is kind of questionable, mm. and so that kind of undermines what he's doing in the first place because he doesn't yeah. respect or love the poor. Yeah. He talks that he talks to them like they are underneath him yeah, yeah, and like yeah. he's doing them this enormous favor, but really he's just like, it's this literal backhanded, like here's a, <laughs> here's a vase and then bang, like punches. <laughs> yeah. Remember um, your place. Yeah. And, and I think as well in the time bandits, like their pursuit of money and mm. kind of stature just mm. for the, just for the thrill of it. Um, yeah. and how bad that, <clears throat> how, how that can turn you into a kind of, you know, um, at, at best, kind of like a, 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 a sad existence and at worst, mm. like just being a terrible person. Yeah. And then I think there's a lot that I watched a video that was kind of arguing that the film is a lot about how you have to kind of become your own person mm. away from not only your parents, but then the institutions that you grow up to kind of view as parents, yeah. like the government and all the stuff Pythons did when yeah. they were making their films, because they were like so... They 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 came up against and they they did they just basically took down every institution and all the hypocrisy around mm, it in mm. all of their films and kind yeah. of showed how stupid it all was. Yes. So I think it's a lot about those kind of things. And the video was pretty fascinating about how it tackled everyone's, um, like so many of the elements of the film are about relationships, about like 
parents. So like, mm. you know, you've got obviously Kevin's parents, mm. you've got as small as like the trolls, you know, having their kind of little yeah. domestic yeah, dispute yeah, 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 and, yeah. you know, yell and then they get stomped. Yeah. You've got the ogre <clears throat> and his wife in yep. their, you know, um, weird ship domicile where they're like not, mm. you know, very happy. You've got Agamemnon and his queen who keeps yeah. trying to take over his land from him. Yeah. Um, You've, even yeah, the, even the even the the masquerade punch and Judy. show, yeah, punch yeah, and Judy, punch yeah, and Judy, yeah, 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 which yeah. is all about kind of it's Judy and Pun. <laughs> Get it right. What is it, Judy? It's this the other way, Judy and Punch. It doesn't matter. I'm just being a dick. Just go on. Uh, it's can't believe I completely now. Oh, I can't believe I fucked that up. Fuck shit. I don't think we should release this one. What's <laughs> my brain? It's I just have it's the it's the it's the the brain what? the brain break that we talked about last week. <laughs> I'm a Mitch McDonald oh, brain I just, break. I just start to question everything. Oh my god, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> <sighs> just zones out existential. But crisis. yeah, um, what did you take from yeah. it? Like, what do you think? S- similar, similar. Mm. Yeah. So I think Terry. Yeah, it, exactly what you said. Terry and the Pythons have made so many skits and jokes and comments about consumerist culture and sort of reality as we know it, you know. They're they're the children of the um, imperial generation, basically. And so they were raised, I mean, they're boomers, they were raised basically to be bankers or lawyers or what have you, and they were like, oh, that seems like hell. Mm. Uh, we don't want to do that. Um, and so many of their jokes are comments on that. It's like you got like, you see a lot of like, bureaucratic institutions in their jokes, like the the the, uh, the ministry of like funny walks or whatever, where it's like, this is kind of absurd, right? That we have so many weird uh, institutions that don't really make sense. Yes. Um, so that's, that's playing really heavily into this movie. It's interesting that Terry, as much as he talks about how he hates convention and rules and he says, you know, break free from that, use your own imagination, run wild, don't let anyone tell you how to how to do your thing. Mm. He's really playing into a lot of really deep unconscious rules of like myth making and stuff like that because mm. this is such a conventional hero's journey with some twists and some tweaks here and there, but it, it runs really deep. I mean, the fact that in a, in a sense, quote unquote, order is sort of restored when the bandits reunite with um, the divine being or whatever mm. his name is, God. Yeah, yeah. They yep. sort of, they, they go back to work basically. It's like, all right, sweet, and we're back to work. Yeah. And then Kevin's even taken out of the dream world and then back into society, um, but with a new lease on his reality. Yeah, now, to fight basically. the good fight. To fight the good fight. And it's interesting as, as well because the, 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 the inclusion of the divine one at the end and how he mm. appears to have or how he states that he knew what was happening all mm. along. He didn't let the time bandits steal the map. He, he allowed it to happen yeah. so that they could play out this series of events. Yeah. That kind of puts into that, that throws the question of free will into it as well. Yeah. Where it's like, so was anything that they did, like, was this all just a test for Kevin to be able to like mm. go on this journey to learn about himself and to learn about what kind of person he wants to be? Yep. Um, and then he even mentions that thing about free will where he's like, why did, why did everyone have to die? Why, why does there have to be evil in the world? Yeah. And the, why is there evil? I love, because yeah. Kevin, he's, a, he's such a great little actor, yeah. this kid. Oh, he's great. He's so yeah. great. And then, but the supreme being is so funny where he just, ah, and then just walks. <laughs> yeah, he walks off stage. Such a, because how good, like Kevin asks God essentially this question of like, yeah. why does there have to be evil in the universe? Yeah. And the supreme being who's represented by just like an old, you know, like double-breasted suit, like yeah. man, you know, um, who just, yeah, he's Ralph given this Richardson, question. Ralph Richardson, I think. Yeah, Ralph so Ralph Richardson, Richardson big yeah. English actor. Um, and the the Pythons, when they were writing it, they were like, 
well, we thought of who could God be and we just thought, well, it's got to be Ralph Richardson. Like that kind, it was that kind of <laughs> yeah. actor of that generation was, well, it's got to be, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of like the Morgan Freeman of his generation. Like he's often playing God in that kind of right. role. So, yeah, he just asked him this question, why does he have to be evil in the universe? And he's like, oh, ah, and he just walks behind a pillar <laughs> and then comes back and he's like, you don't know what he was doing behind there. It's like he was yeah. avoiding it. And he's like, ah, oh, it's something about free will, I guess. Yeah, yeah you, you know. can't tell if he's avoiding the question or if he's above the question yeah, or whatever. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um You've you've tickled something. You've tickled this 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 little like monkey mind of mine, which mm. loves talking about myths and unconscious stories mm. that humans have been telling. Yeah, since we, you know, got a handle on telling stories in the mm. first place. Um, so we're gonna go deep here. We're gonna go deep. Um, this is you, Tyree's yeah. mythical minute. You got one minute, buddy. <laughs> it's a new bit we're trying out. If you like it, like and subscribe. Share the podcast. Um, uh. <laughs> You talked about, you touched on free will there for a second. Mm. It's like, do we actually have free will? Mm. Um, anyone who believes in a divine being uh, that is all-powerful and all-knowing um, sort of... Do they you know, sacrifice it? Uh, no, let me, let, me say, let me say that again. If, if there is a divine being that is all-knowing and all-powerful, mm. it seems impossible that or paradoxical that we could have free will because mm. if he knows what we're going to do, then... If everything is written, then we don't really have a say in the matter, in a mm. sense. Um, a lot of fairy tales touch on this in an unconscious way. Mm. Um, even 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 stories like Lord of the Rings. So our friend, mutual friend of the podcast, Quentin Roth, uh, he he got me in touch with this. Um, near the end of Lord of the Rings, Frodo and Sam, they get up to the mountain um, and they destroy the ring, right? Mm -hmm. But they don't. Um, what happens is Frodo gets as close as any being in middle earth has ever gotten to destroying the ring and then and then gollum shows up and he's like rah, 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 and he grabs the ring off and chews his finger and then gollum is tossed in and falls in yeah. and it sort of throws into question this free will thing where it's like frodo didn't have the agency to get up to mount doom and then toss the ring in the into the into the um lava it was this random forces came in and played into the undoing of the ring um and this is a weird thing that sort of plays into a lot of fairy tales and myths uh, none of which I can reference right now uh, because I didn't think I was going to go down this tangent. Um, <laughs> but so it, it is interesting that this is brought up in a in a family friendly, you know, fun film. Mm. You know, it's like it's it's this weird thing where it's like I mean Terry's a smart guy. All the Pythons were mm. they were well educated people, and so they knew the power of these types of stories. And I just find it fascinating that this is pretty simple entertainment, but it's like touching into these big themes. That, yeah, I, that really like gets me thinking about the film more and more. And, yeah, that's why it um, stuck with me for sure. We may have watched the same video about um, <clears throat> the the problem of evil. Uh, I don't know if you came across that in your Not research. Sure. Um, there's this idea that again, going into the whole God thing, if there is a if there is a God and He is all knowing and all powerful and all good, then how can that be evil? Mm. Because if He is all knowing, He'd know how to get rid of it. If He's all powerful, He'd know how to get rid of it. And if He was all good, He would use his power to get rid of it, right? Or not have created it at all. Or not have created it at all. Um, and then there are some philosophers who have gone, okay, yes, there's that, but maybe we need suffering in order for us to know the difference between good and evil, right? Mm. Maybe that's why it's there. <clears throat> there and maybe we have light without the darkness. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so I don't know if he un if he meant to bring this up in, in the script, if him and Michael meant to like bring this up, but it's there essentially for us to look into now and and talk about yeah. Um, even like uh, even the way Robin Hood is giving away all this gold and then smacking the 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 poor people in the face. It's like here's something good, and then ah, and you yeah. get punched in the face. It's like mm. there is this weird 
thing playing in, in our lives where it's like, there is evil, but why? And if there's a God, why is there evil? Mm. Is he all good? I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah, it poses all those questions. I don't know, I don't know if it answers them, but it poses them and then, and then mm. answers them in that kind of like British kind of irreverent, kind of funny, quirky, where, where yeah. like, you know, God kind of giving those offhanded, like, oh, what, you're asking about this? Oh, well, I guess it's this reason. Yes. I couldn't remember the line that he says, why did they all have to die? And yeah. he says, they, you may as well ask, and it's something about, like, you may as well ask, like, basically, yeah, why is there evil? Why, why? is there anything? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it does, I think, I think, what do, what do you, where, where do you lie on whether this is all, and we've talked about this, obviously, with the, with other films, but yep. where do you lie on the dream theory of Dream theory. Dream theory. Um, well, of, I mean, he has is, the. This is the idea that, um. This film takes place entirely within Kevin's bedroom over the course of a night in in kind of his dreamscape, yeah. um, which is ev- like evidence wise is pretty heavily supported, including by Terry Gilliam himself. Mm. Um, mm. But there is there is like you know there's a there's a part of the viewer viewership who are like it's it's a dream, mm. and part of the viewership who are like well. There's evidence to say that it isn't. It doesn't really yeah. matter in the end, but I think, yep. the, yeah, I think what you were just saying then is it really, it really is a film about Kevin kind of going through this mm-hmm. odyssey to to be tested about what he thinks is 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 good and 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 like I, don't, I guess worthy of pursuit in life. Mm. The the scene with Agamemnon with Sean Connery um, kind of showcases that Kevin is like very willing to stay in that time period because he's like. It's a simple life, but it's a beautiful life. Yeah. Like it's a, it's, it's, it's void of all the technology and all the consumerism yeah. that his parents are after. And I think you could argue like, well, King Agam- Agamemnon is like a pretty virtuous dude in this film, but it's like, yeah, he's wealthy. He's like got power. Like why mm-hmm. wouldn't he like, but it's like, no, but he, he, at the, at the end of the day, the first scene we see of that character is that he's defending his people. Not only is yep. he defending his people, but he's willing to die for them. Because if Kevin doesn't interrupt that fight with the Minotaur, that dude's dead. I couldn't tell if it was a minotaur or a guy so, in a cow suit. So <laughs> like a, it's, a minotaur. It's meant to helmet? be. It's meant to be a minotaur. Right. With his head thing. kind of rotting, like it's that's meant to be his real. head. I would have stank because I, I looked know, like right? a real. It looked like a real like thing, real, right? right? I really, I'm, I want to know if it was or not. Yeah. Um. But yeah, especially in like a hundred. It was like creature. I don't know what this translates to in <clears throat> degrees centigrade, but it was like 122 degrees Fahrenheit out there. Oh my god. What's that like 30s, 40s? 122. That's like I think that's like. I think that's like low forties, mid forties. That's that's enormous. <laughs> How disgusting! They had to walk to that location. Apparently, that's in uh, that was in Morocco, right? That was in Morocco, yeah. Which is a common. Uh, it's fifty degrees. <laughs> fifty degrees Celsius. <laughs> Imagine wearing that fucking helmet. Oh in 50 my degrees. god! And the Jesus. wig, by the way, Connery would have definitely had a. a oh like, yeah. He, he he was. Uh, Did he grow out a beard? Do you think? Or do you oh think yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I think the beard would have been real. Was real yeah. No, because he had a beard in life for a long time when he was older, but definitely uh, just like from watching post-bond. all the Bond films, yeah. like his hair. He he was wearing a hairpiece from like the second or third film, I think. Great. Um. Really. Oh yeah. Really. Damn. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, oh man, what, what, what did I want to say on that? The, the whole desert thing. Um, the heat. Oh no, yeah. I wanted to answer your question. Is it a dream? Mm. The dream theory. Um, it kind of sta- it makes sense. Obviously, he you know he goes to sleep or he goes to his bed basically, and then he's swept up in the adventure. Mm. And then the adventure um, begins to start showing traces of his uh, bedroom and he, yeah, his bedroom mm. basically. So in in his final battle with Evil, uh, the lair is sort of built up of Legos in a way. Yeah, um, the chessboard. The chessboard is is shown there, and then like figures 
um, there's all these toys in his bedroom and you see them inside the, mm. uh, as, as alive things yep. in the, in the thing. So Did it's sense reason, but obviously he wakes up and he has all the photos of the adventure he just had. Yes. I guess, I mean, I don't think Terry Gilliam said this. I, I didn't see that particular interview you saw, you saw, but yep. like if, you know, if I had to answer it in a Terry Gilliam-esque way, mm. I'd say, yes, it was a dream, but dreams are real. Yeah, exactly. No, you know? that's, and that's why the photos are there. I think yes. it's like, yeah. yes, it was a dream, but why on earth should that mean it's not real? Like he takes from the dream and from mm. the adventure that he's had in this in this uh, imagination, imaginatory world, he yeah. is like, well, I, I you know, mm. I'm my own person now. There's this there's this quote I love, a Joseph Campbell quote. You'd like this. You're, mm. you're a writer. Um, well, I, I try. <laughs> oh, Lord, I try. No, yeah, yeah, hell yeah. Dreams are the myth of the individual and then myths are the dreams of society. Oh, uh, so I, I love that. Yeah, that's really good. This kind of stuff. Um, I love this quote from uh, Terry Gilliam, where he talks about pivoting from doing Brazil and and doing a, a kids or family movie. Mm. But I just think this is such a great way to describe what he was trying to do, which is that he wanted to make it intelligent enough for children mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and exciting enough for adults. Yeah. Which I'm like, that is like, I, I think I could, you could like base a thesis around that in terms of like how clever that is to think about making a film that, because yeah. he was saying that, um, um, the, he was, this is, this is some quotes that I really mm. enjoyed from him. He says, the problem with a lot of films about time travel is that they're slightly more pretentious. They think mm. they have to say more important things, but we're free from that. In a book, you've got the time, but the film just needs to get on with it. Um, which is kind of <laughs> ironic because I think he says a lot of important things and a lot of deep kind of philosoph- um, philosophical things. Mm. Um, but he goes on to say there were a lot of adults who were struggling with it because it was going so fast for them. It was leaping around the place with the kids, um, which the kids immediately went for. Mm. They had the confidence to go with us, to trust us. Adults needed signposts for us to slow it down, but mm. luckily we ignored that. And then just on what you were saying about um, the kind of meaning behind it, Michael Palin says, we were tackling mystical and metaphysical issues on a very banal level. Yeah. So again, that kind of sums up how they- It's a very British thing to say. Yeah, they bring it up, but they bring it up. And because of their intelligence, like they bring it up in a way that is like poignant and thought provoking. Um, Um, But I I agree. The photo element at the end is like- And Sean Connery being there. That's another big one. That's a big giveaway. Yeah. Yeah. to that quote you just said about the imagination, uh, the the intelligence of a child, and the what was it, the imagination of an adult? Or something no, or the, or? we wanted to make it uh, intelligent, intelli- enough. yeah, intelligent enough for a child and exciting enough for an adult. He in this interview he gave, I don't know when or it was like around 2015, I think, so a little while ago. He was still trying to get Don Quixote happening. Um, uh, <clears throat> to no one's surprise, he loves. Uh, he grew up on. Um, the Brothers Grimm fairy tales. Mm. He ended up he ended up making a movie about it. Mm. Um, he loved he loved fairy tales, and he grew up on a farm. When he was he grew up on a farm until like maybe five or ten, and then he moved into the big city in L.A. Yes, but so he lived near these big woods, and so he was he was a kid that lived in his imagination. And he mm. said, "I loved listening to like radio plays and stuff like that because." Um, I was forced to use my imagination to fill in the gaps basically mm. where it's like I could hear the voices, but I couldn't see the imagery. And I loved, I loved doing that. Mm. Um, so he, he lives in that kind of a world and yeah, he loves these fairy tales. And he says one of the best fairy tales ever written in his opinion is, is it's Hans Christian Andersen's, um, uh, the emperor's new clothes. Oh yeah. And he says, I love that because, uh, 
only a child could see the lunacy that was going on around him and no one else could. Mm. Everyone else was like, well, yes, of course, fancy, lovely clothes there, Mr. Emperor. Very <laughs> lovely. Um, and so all these characters, all of his movies are inhabited by either like children or lunatics who, because he, in his mind, they're the only people who can sort of see through the, the pale of the sort of society we live in. Mm. This, this post, what would you call it? Postmodern, mm. I don't know. This this world we live in, basically. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's that's something that's one of his strengths, I guess, and what makes his movies. Yeah, and it's I think as well that that world that we live in, like that that consumerist kind of capitalist, mm. very um, uh, gadget gadgetified yeah. kind of world. Like it's represented yeah. by the evil being being like, I will take over the world so long as I understand technology. I love that like, you love that quote as well. I think I saw that in your. He in your was review. maybe my favorite character because of how funny he was. I thought he was hilarious. Um, he was this is, good. This is the character yeah. basically just called evil in the yeah. script or the or evil, evil genius. One. Evil yeah. genius, yeah. Um, I've got the wrong page up on Spotify. Uh, on IMDb, I was going to say his name. Wait a second. <laughs> Here we go. It's coming up. David Warner. I beat you to the punch. Yeah, was evil it? genius. Oh, okay. David Warner. Yeah, David Warner, the evil genius, was easily one of my favorite characters. The way Great. he would, the way he was so, I just love, it was so Python where he would like kill someone and then be like, yes. I'm a reasonable fellow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also I love the, like, it's so subtle, but when he, um, when he kills the, 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 his underling who he turns into a dog. Yeah. And he says his name. He's like, Simon. And the dog looks at him. He's like, ah! <laughs> just kills him. <laughs> and it makes the most yeah. like obvious human, yeah. uh, like ADR dog noise. Where it's like, yeah. so I the, love, I loved all that shit. Like the first time he like blew up one of his henchmen, I was like, I'm in. Yes. I, I get this guy completely. He reminds me of any sort of close to a villain sort of character in any of the Python films. And I did loved. you notice like the quote that you mentioned that I love, um, which I'll, I'll get up now. It was, He's talking about how much he hates the divine, the divine one, the uh, like the like the god character, the creator. Yeah, yes, the creator. Yeah, He's like, yeah. if I were creating the world, I wouldn't mess around with butterflies and daffodils. I would have started with lasers. Eight o'clock, day one. <laughs> I love the eight o'clock line. Like, yeah, it's fuck? so good, so specific. Eight o'clock, eight o'clock, day one. <laughs> I would have started with lasers. And then he talks about slugs. He's like, God isn't interested in technology. He cares nothing for the microchip or the silicon revolution. Look how he spends his time. Forty-three species of parrots. Nipples for men. <laughs> and then one of his underlings goes, slugs. And he goes, yes, slugs. He created slugs. They can't hear. They can't speak. They can't, can't operate heavy machinery. Are we, not at the, are we not in the hands of a lunatic? <laughs> <laughs> so great. Yeah. So great. I love that. He that, just goes, yeah. He's so camp and so like, and yeah. And then also after that quote that he does about uh, the eight o'clock day one, Apparently he like he he flourishes his hands and it mm. shoots out a laser and he like zaps one of it and he's like, oh sorry yeah <laughs> it's, like, he, yeah. it's off screen as well you just like, oh, yeah oh fine oh sorry yeah he was he was great um, he was great and also the pig scene was like one of my favorites where he turns he turns one of the the time bandits into a into a pig, a pig. Uh, first like a half pig and then a full blown pig. a half pig yeah yeah um I wanna. I want to walk through the plot on this one just because there'd be so many bits I'm sure I'm going to forget unless I kind of walk through it. But before I do, um, uh, Sean Connery um, as Agamemnon, he sort of adopts uh, – I always get his name sort of bosh. Is it Agamemnon or Agamemnon? Yes, the second one. Okay. I believe. Um, he's sort of adopting Kevin in, in a way. Um, he's being like a, a surrogate father for him in a lot of ways. There's that scene where he – has this 
I don't know what it is. I think it's like a, a cherry tomato or something like that. And he hides it in these three cups and he's sort of shuffling the cups around. And then he's like, which, which one is it under, Kevin? And Kevin's like, that one. And he, he lifts the lid and it's not there. And then that one and lifts the lid and it's not there. The third one, it's not there either. And then he like has it behind his ear or whatever. Yeah. Um, so apparently that was unscripted. That was something Sean Connery like devised. I don't know how. Yeah. But like. He could actually do that trick. And he he was could like, actually do that trick. And he's like, I we'll do that. To, I want to show off my magic. I want to show off my magic. <laughs> Terry. <laughs> I wonder if you might allow me to do it. People think I'm a one-note actor. I Bond. I can uh, do things. <laughs> I yeah, can do things. He, he no, had, I, I like had just, great suggestions for this film. I just want to say, that movie, uh, I mean, not that movie, that little trick speaks to a lot of, uh, yeah, this is going to sound pretentious, but the power of cinema, uh, where it's like just simple little tricks, you know, mm. and that's all it is. And like, it also plays into the theme where it's like, you think you know what the, rea- the reality of things are, but it's like, that's not it. Mm. Yeah, there's 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 other things working that you can't quite see. And what sets that up? So always he, question yeah. what you've got in front of you. Kevin you know? Kev, Kevin asks him, what what sets that scene up where he's like, I'll show you something far more important. What does he ask that's more important than that? I think he wants to see like a sword or a battle yeah, or something like that. Yeah, he's talking about like yeah. killing. He's like, oh yeah, he wants to learn sword fighting. Yeah, that's ah, it. He's like, and he's like, I'll show you something important. far more or far more useful or whatever it is. Ah. And it's like the art of like deception and um, yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah, Sean Connery came came to this piece with like a lot of uh, a lot of good ideas. I think they had him yeah. for like two days filming, and then yeah. the fireman film they literally had him for two hours while he was in England for yeah, like yeah. a tax reason or something. He was yeah. because of like some tax laws or whatever that he was obviously trying to avoid or trying yeah. to get around. He didn't. He was only in, allowed in England for a few days a year. Yeah, right. And he Jeez. was like literally flew in for a day to meet his tax accountant, and then they yeah. were like. Hey, uh, Sean, can you come by and play this fireman for literally two shots? Yeah. Like, we need two shots of you. Yeah. Another idea of Sean's. Yeah. He pitched that idea. Because he was originally, Agamemnon was meant to be in the scene, in the climax yeah. where they fight the evil one. Yeah. And uh, didn't work out. Oh. Didn't work out. Can he was going to die in that scene. Yeah. And instead, when he couldn't make it, they were like, all right, we'll kill one of the uh, one of the time bandits, which was great. It opened yeah. up a great dynamic for all of them to kind of be able to grieve and like, you know, show their love for each other because yeah. they're kind of that rapscallion kind of like band of mm. band of kind of antagonistic kind of characters who don't mm. always get along, but they kind of love each other like a family. Yeah. We should shout out as well. Um, so there's six time bandits. Aye. Randall, played by yep. David Rappaport. Yep. Fidget, played by Kenny Baker. Mm-hmm. Strutter, by Malcolm Dixon. Og, by Mike Edmonds. Wally, by Jack Purvis. And Vermin, played by Tiny Ross. Lovely shout out. Yeah. yeah. Amazing actors. Yeah. Yeah. They, they did such an awesome job. I loved them all so much. I love, uh, I think it was, was it Vermin who was the one who ate everything? I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. I love yeah. the way they did. Uh, I love the way they did that scene with the rat where he was mm. like, rat anyone? Might be the last thing you eat. I just pulled the cable on my headphones. Like, he yanked my neck. Yeah. Get my neck out. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the plot. So you've talked about the opening pretty effectively. Mm. Kevin's immediately sort of swept up mm. in the Time Bandits, not mission, but sort of their adventure to like go loot and plunder. Mm. Um, their first destination is like 17th century France or yeah. Europe, basically. The Napoleonic Wars. The Napoleonic Wars, yes. Um, they figure they might get some good loot there. So they start there. Um, Napoleon, played by Ian Holm, Sort of like prepping himself for his role in Ratatouille. I know, right? Yeah, I, was, I was so proud of myself that I was like, that's the guy from Ratatouille. Oh, yeah. And I think it's purely because obviously Ian Holm, a British actor, yeah, is yeah. doing a French accent, but <laughs> he had that high-pitched, like, 
um, millions and millions of burritos, <laughs> like that kind of weird. Burritos, what? Yeah, he says burritos in the line of, uh, in, in Ratatouille, where he's like, I haven't talking seen about, Ratatouille. I, I, you I love that movie it, a lot more than I do. Every day. No, oh. it's, uh, <laughs> what hell? It's, uh, oh, God. Yeah. Um, Fate worse than death. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, I didn't, you, I don't like Ratatouille as much. I think you said I don't like Ratatouille. I was going to be like, I don't like Ratatouille. Uh, full stop. Yeah. I need to rewatch it maybe and reevaluate it, but I didn't like it. It's like yeah. it's like tied with Incredibles as like my number one Pixar. Ah, oh, you're a Brad Bird fan, huh? I am, yeah, very much so. Yeah. Where does it sit on your Pixar rating? Above cars. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Life is a highway. <laughs> I'm gonna ride. Oh, no. I don't mind cars. Cars is fine. Cars one is fine. Eh. Cars one is fine. Uh, I'm sure it's all right. I don't you know. haven't seen it? I've seen Cars. Didn't like it very much at all. Um, uh, yeah, Ratatouille is I. You're more of a trains man. I didn't like it. Someone famous plays, someone you wouldn't expect plays the 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 the, the, the romantic lead of that movie. Who? You know who it is in in Ratatouille? Shit, I the romantic say. lead. Well, you the, as the, in the love interest is in the yeah. Woman, um, no, nah, I don't know. You don't know? Oh, God, this is gonna bug me. I need to. Find I know out. that the brother from Everybody Loves Raymond plays uh, Gaston. Yeah, he's a great voice actor. He's is it Gaston? Is that his name? That's not his name. No, that's like Beauty Gust- and the Beast. Gusto? What the? F- is it Gusto? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, shit, I don't know. Uh, Augustus Gusto. Yeah. Yeah, Gusto. Yeah. yeah. Um, Who plays the lead? Oh, what? it's it's Janine uh, Garofalo from, she's in, she's in so many things. She's a New Yorker comedian. Um, I'm trying to think of something you'd know her from. Uh, she's in... She, she's in a Wet Hot American Summer. Mm-hmm. You just would not expect her playing this role. Oh, basically, okay. she's in that episode of Seinfeld where Seinfeld's going out with. She may be another stand-up comedian. She may be playing another uh, stand-up. Yep. Just like it's like dating me. Oh, I hate what? me. That's her. That's her. Isn't wow. that crazy? That is weird. Yeah, I remember seeing that. I was like, no way, that's her. Because I wouldn't have expected that. Anyway, sidebar over. Um, yeah, they meet Napoleon. That's fine. So around about here, I was like, I was pretty on board, but I was still a bit uncertain. And I was like, I don't know if I'm yeah. going to enjoy this fully. Yeah. It I'm feels, liking it, it, it but it, not It doesn't entirely. represent the pace of the film very well because yeah. that's a pretty slow scene. It is a pretty slow scene. It's just dragged out a lot. Um, but I love that. So <clears throat> all of Napoleon's generals are trying to, uh, urging him to like accept the town surrender or whatever, mm. but he's too busy watching this um, puppet show. Mm. Uh, and then the guy sort of has organized the pantomime. He's like running out of things to show him. And he's like, oh, how about this? Or, or maybe this, the three ugly sisters. No, oh, what about this? And, and, and he tries like, to kill oh. himself twice. Yeah. That's the thing. I love how they, just, they keep cutting back to him and he's trying to kill himself. Yeah. And that's the thing of like, this is not a kid's <laughs> film anymore kind of thing, which I miss. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's funny. And it's Family like, film, yeah. Yeah, it's, that's the thing. There's, there's part, the, Kevin is thrown into the violence of, like, the Napoleonic Wars so quickly with this yeah. kind of transition. Like, the, literally, the, one of the first things he sees is, like, someone on fire, like, jumping into a river. There's all these refugees, and, like, like, sweep, like, yeah, you know, walking like, down, going, you know, run, child, yeah, come with us! Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, um, uh, like, yeah, people getting executed and, like, heaps of different oh, stuff. Oh, like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's yeah. not gratuitously yeah. violent in the film, like, in the depiction of the film, but it's certainly, like... It's it death. You don't really death. show death in a kid's film. Yeah. Like, uh, it's or like, like anathema. Someone like, trying to kill themselves or, yeah. you know, um, just complete, like, uh, violence and carelessness on the part of, you know, these yeah. warmongers and stuff. Yeah. So many studios follow um, Rocky the Rooster's sort of cardinal rule, which is never mention death. <laughs> you know what I mean? Weird tangent. Uh, uh, but, yeah, it's like, it's, it, I don't know. It's, it's funny. And it seems innocent enough, I guess. Like... 
Yeah, I, I think. Well, it's 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 not like pandering. Mm. It's it's not it's not showing anything crazy violent. It's the, you never feel like Kevin is in danger necessarily mm. of like that kind of a fate. It's more just like. Yeah, this is what the time was like. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, not yeah. really romanticizing it. It's kind of poking fun at it a little, little bit. Yeah. Um, but Doesn't also seem, yeah. It's I think it's good because like Cynical it's well yeah, and it's it's also like it's not it's again a film intelligent enough for kids mm. where it's like kids will get it. Kids will jump on board. Yeah, kids the love stuff this kind that, of stuff. The stuff yeah. that is too much for them will probably go over their heads and if it, you know, like it's mm. yeah, I just miss and I don't want to I don't know if it's actually accurate to be like films like this ain't made anymore. Mm. It's like maybe they are like, you know, mm. Films for kids aren't always, um, these days aren't always unintelligent or aren't always mm. kind of um, talking down in that mm. sense. Certainly a lot of media for kids is. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that uh, I just like I just like films with these kind of characters who are kind of like thorny mm. and like edgy and like, you know, they, they not good bite people. rats' heads off and they yeah. punch people and they, you know, it's it's yeah. just, yeah, they're not heroic necessarily, but like they bond with the heroic character and that you kind of, yeah. you kind of assimilate that, those traits onto that. Like, you know, they're, I don't know. It's just interesting. It just makes for a more interesting story. Terry and, says it a lot. It's like life isn't simple. It's not always good guys and bad guys. Yeah. It's, it's weird. There's weird, there's weird people out there. There's different people out there. I also love that the job of the time band, it's like the way it's described after the Napoleonic scene when they mm. steal from Napoleon and they go through the time hole and mm. we kind of get that set up all kind of locked in where it's like, yes. oh, okay. Because that works. Yeah. And then Kevin gets his explanation of like, oh, so you, and, um, uh, what's his name? David, Rapp David Rappaport's character, Randall, who's kind of like the, the leader of the group is like, so we, um, we stole this map from God mm. and, you know, we made this, 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 the fabric of time and we're yeah. going around and pillaging from it. Yeah. Um, but I love that he says like, you know, God, God made, you know, all the complex things like mm. men and women and evil and good and darkness and light. And mm. we, we made things like the trees and the yeah. shrubs and the forest. They know, were in the department of like shrubs shrubbery and or something. Yeah. Which is so, it's, I just, I don't know. There was something simple to, there was something like, there were no hangups with, with like explaining anything in more detail than that, which is, yeah. you, and it's kind of, it's, it's. It's always nice and surprising that you don't actually need a lot more than that. Yeah. They just kind of said it. Mm. It was enough of an explanation. It was well written so that it didn't feel like exposition and it was kind of charming mm. and you kind of got everything yep. and it made sense. And I love the idea that you're, it's very much like Hitchhikers where you're applying like a certain bureaucracy to yeah. the creation of the universe where he's like, oh, you know, t to be honest, it was a bit of a botch job. Yeah. You know, we <laughs> yeah, only yeah. have seven days to make <laughs> yeah, the fabric yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we were underpaid. And so we thought, well, yeah. well this is boring. Let's go, you know, let's go get stinking rich through exactly. history. Exactly. Let's of thing. go rob and stuff. I just like love, that. I really like that very kind of um, grounded mm. uh, perspective or grounded setup for such an enormous like concept. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's the best way of thinking about big, <clears throat> big concepts like that is ground it in something human, I guess. Yeah. It's like, um, yeah, I mean, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a perfect, yeah. perfect comp there. Yeah. Um, it all reminds me of this, the skit from Meaning of Life. It's the opener, and then it just comes back midway through the film. It's um, the um, the Crimson Permanent Assurance Company. Do you remember the opening of Meaning of Life? It opens in this really bizarre, like, these accountants are all, like, slave workers in this, like, big building, and there's, like, these big guys in suits, like, whipping oh, all the older I workers. I vaguely remember that. And then yeah. they, like, they just, like, they decide to rebel, and they get out. They, like, make swords out of, like, um, out of the, the guillotines and the the... the hole punches and all that kind of shit and they sort of rebel and then they turn the, the massive tower into this ship that just sort of sails around 
And then midway through, the, it sort of dropped because they like sail off the edge of the earth or something. But then midway through the film, they come back and they sort of raid this other building and they're like, they're talking about the meaning of life. This is a random tangent. No, no, no. Now. But like, it's all the pythons in this boardroom meeting and they're talking and they're just going, so the meaning of life uh, brings up these two questions. Either either people are not wearing enough hats or, and then they just, they <laughs> ramble on and on about whatever. And then like um, Eric Idle, I think, is sitting there and he's like, to your point about the meaning of life, I think you touched on something about being distracted by things. And did anyone notice that building out there? And the building just shows <laughs> up and they just storm through the building again. But it's the exact same thing where it's like people are stuck in these bureaucratic institutions that mean, you know, fuck all, mm. basically. And they're, like, and they're like, they're just using imagination to break out of it, mm. essentially, for good or ill, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's something, it's like a theme that seems to be playing out in a lot of his movies, especially this one and especially the movies in this trilogy. But um, I'm with you where with the Napoleonic scene, I was like, uh, I don't know if this is going to be like, uh, this is good yeah. so far, but I don't know if I'm going to like really respond to this. And yeah. as soon as they transported into the forest sure and they started would, to I was explain, in. yeah. Like and and they and Kevin like you know became part of the team yep. and they and they we understood a little bit about who these people were a bit yeah. more. I yeah, was like, definitely. I'm in. This is a sick time machine. Let's yeah, go. Yeah. Let's that's, go to all the different places. Like, that sets up that Sherwood section. Sets up um, a lot of the ga- a lot of the gags and then just the evil genius as mm. well. So you mm. get a lot more invested into the story. Mm. Um, so we've kind of we've we've mostly gone through the Sherwood Forest bit, but um, Michael Palin shows up with Shelley Duvall. <laughs> Shelley Duvall, yeah. Oh, fuck, I'm. This is Shelley Duvall. This is after The Shining? I was stunned by that. Shelley Duvall is like, she is a very interesting performer. Like, she is is cast purely because she is, like, peculiar and interesting. Mm. And, like, who was it who who cast her in all those those fucking movies? Um, Oh, my God. Kilbrick? No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, The Shining came out in 1980. The Shining came out in 1980. And this came out in 1981. And apparently, like, from all the research I've done, I can, I think that she did The Shining first and then went to do do this, which I was, like, I don't know, for some reason she looks younger in this, like, a lot younger. When did they film this? Maybe they filmed it before The Shining. Maybe. Because she must have, like, lost 10 years of her life on that fucking film. Apparently also Terry Gilliam landed on her when he was, he he did a demonstration of how to fall. For the because all, all the the way that time travel works is that basically it's like a portal. But it can be anywhere. Fall, it can yeah. be anywhere, and they they it's often the scenes like that ha- feature Shelley Duvall and Michael Palin like they're like two lovers who are kind mm. of you know trying to make things work, and yeah. right before each time it works, they they get interrupted by the falling yeah um, uh, time bandits, and yeah when Terry Gilliam was like apparently showing them like this is how you fall guys, and he fell wrong. And yeah. landed on Duval, who then like had like neck problems for a few oh, years afterwards, God. kind of thing. So, she can't like, catch a break. Yeah, she just copped it on these yeah. two productions. Um, uh, yeah. So she, Robert Altman, was the director I was thinking of. Mm. She was sort of discovered by him. She was working at like a makeup salon or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. And they were like, they were just like, "There's something about you that is like interesting. Yes. I think you'd work well on camera. We need to see it." She looks like and an then Aardman she got- character. <laughs> she looks like an Aardman, like, like, uh, I think there's a character in one of the Wallace and Gromits. Like God. she looks like Gromits. No, wait, Wallace's? Yeah. Wallace's like girlfriend, like the queen character in the, in queen the, character. yeah, oh, she's very yeah, like yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, bug eyed yeah, yeah, and like yeah, yeah. very the, like, you know. Yeah. The Julie, the, the, um, Helena Bonham Carter character. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is, so the weird thing is, yeah, she's, I was expecting her to like stick out a lot in this movie, but. She did a really good job of just gelling into the movie. And hot take, this is like one of her best performances, I think, 
<laughs> wow, that is a movie. that is a scolding hot take. Dude, I have it, not seen any of her performances and I'm not except knocking, for the I'm Shining. not knocking any of her performances, but like in all those ones, she's great, but it's more of an innate thing that she's doing where it's like it's not like her skill as an actor is like as much is like overpowering her, I don't know, innate interestingness. Oh, okay. But in this, I don't know, she's just she she felt like um, Connie Booth or whatever. Like I John agree Cleese's that wife. she, like she yeah, just she, she fit fits, into it. She so fits well. into the Python uh, rhythm yeah. very well. Yeah, because she, yeah, yeah, she's yeah. playing. She's almost. She she feels like she's playing like someone out of like an amateur theater production of some Shakespeare thing. Like she's very over the top. Yeah. Very like oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> so and it, and her I think her yeah. eyes work very well for that yeah. character where they're just kind of enormous and like very like innocent. Yeah. So I agree. She works with the rhythm of the pythons very well. And also yeah, of yeah. Palin because he's like insane in this. He's film. so funny, man. <laughs> oh, I love Michael Palin. Who's your favorite python, do you think? Oh, that's a great question. Um, pretty pretty partial to Cleese and Palin. Cleese, okay. I think, because yeah. of – it. I don't know if it counts, but I, I Faulty, uh, Faulty Towers was a huge – Huge thing that we watched yeah, okay, when I was yeah, a kid, yeah. uh, but also yeah. I love him in all the I love his characters in all the Python films where he's often like the very incredulous, very like he's he often plays a, a kind of a bad guy who's like yeah. a guard where he's just like you know he plays um, the hoity toity people a lot better yeah very the... where he's like bugger off like yeah. that kind yeah. of, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of a vibe but then I also yeah. really like I don't would it um Michael Palin played all the the weaker characters I guess yeah more of the Who's the Who's the one in in Life of Brian um, who does the kind of like the most famous line where he's like, "He's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy." Like <laughs> the one who plays all the women. I really Terry, like Terry well. Jones. Terry, Terry Jones. Jones. Yeah. Terry Jones yeah, is yeah. one of my favorite as well, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Actually, on that, so Terry Jones, uh, he wrote um, Labyrinth, which I sort of compared this movie to. He did. He wrote Labyrinth. Yeah. No way. Yeah, yeah. Which is because you watch that movie and it's like it's this weird cross section of a very American take on fantasy stuff because it's Jim Henson directing it and sort of doing all the production design. It's mm. his company doing all the bit, all the creatures. Mm. But then it's written by Terry Jones who comes at it from a very English thing and it's this weird little cross-section. And I feel that with this movie in a lot of ways because even though Terry Gilliam's pretty quintessentially British, mm. he's American, but he, yeah. he like, renounced his like American citizenship yeah. and everything. There's a little bit of that in him still that sort of comes out in this movie. I right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's still very British as well and they sort of collide. I'm definitely going to do a deep dive in 80s fantasy because I've, yeah. I've seen – Labyrinth. You have. And I, I believe I've seen it, but probably Ooh. in part and ah. probably years ago. Like to the point where if you were to say, have you seen Labyrinth or even Dark Crystal, I'd be like, I've, I've seen them through probably. the Maybe in a dream. It could culture. have been that or a dream. Yeah. I don't and know also it, it was so long ago that I do yeah. not recall them at all. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. like I need to go back and, and, and watch them. Never ending story as well. Yeah. I feel like I want to do it again I think as well. for our generation, um, a lot of these movies were movies that our parents like, yeah, you like this. And it's like, huh? What the? And like. Yeah. You either know it or you don't, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's like, because I know a lot of people who watched Labyrinth as a kid and like, oh, I love this. It's such a great kid's movie. And then I watched it as an adult and I was like, what the fuck is this yeah, yeah. nightmare? This yeah, is yeah, it's terrifying. Twisted. The, the, that and Dark Crystal, for me, I'm like yes. kind of terrified to watch because like there's something about the practicality of puppets where it's like, it's They're scarier. dead behind the eyes. It's scarier it's eyes, than CGI. Man. It's way oh, scarier yeah. than CGI. Same thing with stop motion. When I see like stop motion animated things, I'm like, oh, Ugh. yeah, especially from like the sick. 60s in like, like Estonia or something. Like Terminator, like, ah! like Terminator when they did like the, the half face of. Um, Schnegger and he's like robot and man and he's stop motion. Yeah. Creepy and twisted. Yeah. Freaks me out. I'm always like, 
That's so fascinating that they had a hand in these kind of films, like the Python. Like I didn't know that about Terry yeah. Jones. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I love, I love hearing about the creation of that movie. But um, yeah, they're so similar because like uh, George Harrison was attached to this one. Boy was attached to that one. Yeah, that was a great comparison all you made. Kids, uh, you know, they're kids. I feel like Time Bandits is like Labyrinth, but then also Bill and Ted's excellent. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Because like. I don't know. I think that think that the reason why I've like kind of fell in love with this film as well was that that just the device of time travel I, I think excites me and would have excited yeah, if I had yeah. seen this as a kid I think I would have like really it just would have like I would have been like hell yeah, um, yeah. because I would like in my head I'm like I wish I was Kevin like <laughs> I don't want anything to befall me like it did him but I would love to travel through time yeah. with like a bunch of fun characters and like like that's the yeah. idea that that idea is such a cool concept for a show or for a movie that I'm like, I, I'm, I don't be surprised if I try and write something like this in the future. Cause it's like, I want to pay homage to this kind of shit. I just love it. It's just Fair so enough, simple. Yeah. So quick. You're like, it's yeah. in, there's no, there's no fat in terms mm. of the setup. It's like, he's a kid. He gets excited by this mm. thing that happens. He gets swept away. Mm. It's, I just, there's something so, I guess, simple and romantic about this, this old fashioned kind of yeah. kids adventure yeah. that is very adult mm. at times as well. Um, running away with the circus. Yeah. You know, that yeah. kind of stuff. We always um, love that. But John Cleese, while, while we're on Cleese and the, the pythons and stuff, he oh, said yeah. something about Gilliam, which I thought was funny where he said, um, and you kind of mentioned it at the start of the episode with, mm. with the difficulties with jo George Harrison and the production and things. Oh, yeah. He says, uh, Terry Gilliam falls out with almost everyone he's ever met. And he doesn't speak to them for three years. Um, and he kind of was saying that yeah. this is kind of his pattern that he'll have to break out of. But yeah, the, he does carry, uh, Gilliam is a very, feels like um, he's very married to his ideas and his visions. Um, and so he can be difficult, I think, uh, apparently to kind of work with and to collaborate with. Collaborate being the key word, I think, mm, there. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah. Um, so the the bandits... Um, they see, they see Robin Hood's merry men sort of robbing these rich people and they're like, oh, we should like, we should get involved with them. They seem like they know what they're doing. Mm. They meet up with Robin Hood and his merry men. Then they find out that when they steal stuff, they give to the poor mm. and they sort of like very brokenheartedly watch all the treasure they stole from Napoleon just yeah, get taken doled away. out to the, yeah. the peasants and stuff like yeah. that. I love that entire, that was the most, mon I mean, it obviously there's a lot of like Holy Grail stuff in there, but like as you're. As as the characters are walking through the camp, there's like this one guy who's like arm wrestling people, and he's like he breaks off someone's arm, like just snaps off. There's no blood. Do you remember this? Yeah, it's just in the foreground. He's just going, and then Ugh. not only does that, but puts it into a big cauldron full of other arms. It's so fucking bizarre. So it's, I love it. Yeah, love that. Um, um, that then, feels like an idea that Terry Gilliam came up with on the day. And he was like, oh yeah, yeah like, let's, can we get some prosthetic arms? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then it's they chaotic like that. They they run away from Robin Hood, mm -hmm. having been pillaged, and um, and they find Michael Palin and Shelley Duvall are getting robbed even more. <laughs> <laughs> like their clothing's all gone now. Yeah. Um, and then they, they get the, uh, God reappears, the face of God, this kind of very wizard of Oz, like I uh, like, yeah. uh, face. And they, yeah. they, I love the simplicity again of the plot where it's like, don't worry about the, like the coincidences that appear. We're not here for, for, um, the kind of, uh, we're not here to make this story difficult in mm -hmm. any way that it doesn't need to be where it's like, you know, a problem appears, God appears to, yep. to, to, to command the map back, mm. but doesn't matter because, hey, there's a time hole, oh, just over here, Perfect. just over, you know, yeah, yeah, let's yeah, go yeah, and, yeah. you know, you're into the next, and, yeah. and they were talking about how. That's also, this is also when evil sort of 
comes into the yes, picture. Yes, comes well. into play, tries he, to. Yeah, he even to... has like a Wicked Witch of the West like sort yes, of thing yeah. going on. And his his aesthetic is very plastic, covered in plastic. Yeah. Which is very kind of harkens back to the parents who yeah. are sitting in this house full of plastic covered furniture and things yes. like that. Um but I love yeah, they the um Palin and, and, and Gilliam were talking about how the time travel device um allowed them to kind of uh sidestep from problems in an int- in just a quick way of True, like okay yeah. so God is after them um how, how are they going to defeat it they don't they run they get into a time hole and they're off to uh you know um, where's the next period they go yeah. to like the Renaissance after or that like is the... no it's to ancient Greece next. ancient Greece yeah. yeah so it's just Kevin who runs off without them there's like two portals yeah, two that open portals up, open up and he goes through the the quote unquote wrong one basically yes. yeah. um he goes through the portal by himself and then diagonally he, <laughs> he falls a diagonally and then he falls. On top of um, this Greek warrior who's fighting the um, Minotaur, yeah, uh, which sort of spooks the Minotaur a bit, and then the Greek warrior can kill him Gets and the advantage. takes the helmet off, and it's none other none other than Sean Connery. Yeah, um, you've obviously read the gag they wrote into the script. Yeah, I'm written guessing. into the script. Yeah, they were like, if we can't get, well, you know, it's someone who looks like him, basically. I yeah, can't remember was, the exact was, uh, I've heard the, the warrior removes his helmet to reveal Sean Connery yeah. or someone of. Equal or cheaper status. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I've heard Terry Gilliam give that quote like 10 times now. Yeah. The exact same yeah. way. He's but got then they changed so the script perfectly. when they realized they had Sean Connery. Yeah. And they wrote in brackets after Sean Connery, remo- like, you know, it's Sean Connery. And then in brackets they said, yes, turns out we can afford him. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, that's so gold. Yeah. Imagine being the script cord and finding out you have to print that off yeah. again. It's like, sorry, print it again. I think as well it's so important for this film to have, like this, this, this film I think would be so different potentially mm. or would would have um it would be less it would have less of an advantage mm. into charming you if it didn't have these big name very yep. very relatable and very like safe actors like very mm. that you feel like you're in good hands it's like oh wow Sean Connery's in this I need to like pay attention kind of thing yeah. like he he didn't do film he didn't suffer fools he didn't do films that he didn't want to do kind yep. of thing Except yep. maybe the last film he was in where he played like a Scotty dog or something. <laughs> the animation. No, no, no. It was, it was Benji, wasn't oh, it? Ben, whatever Remember it that? was. Benji. Benji. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was like, it, it, with with the involvement of the Pythons, with Sean Connery there, with all these British actors who were kind of this old age, like these like old guard, like really Elizabethan style Shakespearean yep. actors. It's like this, this these people, these serious people are taking this thing seriously. Yeah. So therefore, like we need to as well. Like it's, you know, this means business. Yeah. It just adds so much weight to it. And all of the scenes with Connery, you're just like, this is rad. And apparently Kevin, the kid, bless him. He's, he only did one (laughs) film, this kid, uh, but he nailed it. But apparently he was like so intimidated by Connery. It was his first day filming. Yeah, with him. he was so intimidated that James Bond was on set and that he had to act with him that apparently they, he's done other movies. Has he? Apparently he's done instant star and no sleep till Christmas to the lighthouse. He was in Shazam. No, DC I Shazam. I think you're looking at a different person, maybe. Craig Warnock, Kevin. Yeah, but there's a but is does it say Time Bandits on that IMDb? Time Bandits, yeah. Really? Apparently, movies and TV shows. Time Bandits to the Lighthouse. No sleep. To, he even has like a modern picture. Oh, great. Okay, I found a one. I found an IMDb with him when it just said Time Bandits and like one other TV movie. Oh wow. I don't know. Breaking Doesn't news, matter. He's done more, but um, yeah, he uh, he was very intimidated. So Connery was like, I'll I'll. I'll just film the scenes where yeah. with him. Shoot where my I'm stuff like, first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we'll everything where his face isn't in, I think it's just a body double because Kevin was just really freaked out. Yeah. Um, but as if you wouldn't be. 
It's Bond. Bond. It's Womack. I mean, Womack. it's whatever that character's name is in that movie. It's Maui. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember his name. Oh, no, no, no. Why, Rock. Why would we? His name was Rock really? Roxon. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he 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 is then uh, sort of swept up in, in Agamemnon's sort of life. He meets. And th- this is where some problems start to arise for me. Um, but he what? goes, ah! <laughs> like, hey, we're sort of disagreeing a little bit maybe. Yeah. Maybe this one will have a differing opinion. Huh? No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> he goes to the city. He finds out about all the goings on there. Um, he decides he wants to live in this city. He likes it here. He doesn't like his parents. Even Sean Connery's like, oh, you know, uh, Agamemnon, he's like, don't you want to see your father again? He's like, no. Nah. Nope. 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 He sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Loser. Um, uh, they also set up, there's like this sort of tension between Agamemnon <clears throat> and his wife. Yeah. Which, um, which isn't really explored very much. But apparently think. like historically accurate in terms of his, ah. he was, the, Agamemnon was actually killed by his wife. Yeah, that's right. I do remember hearing that yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah. So I guess they're sort of just playing into that a little bit. But yeah. for me as a bit of a dunce who doesn't know history very well, I was like, well, this didn't go anywhere. Um, even him, even him adopting Kevin in a way. Didn't, didn't fully land for me because I was like, I didn't feel, if there's one thing I didn't feel as much with this was it was investment in the characters. So like when one of the, when one of the time bandits, well, when there's a fake out and one nearly dies doing their escape from prison. Yes. I was like, I, I was, I was upset, but not because I was like, oh, I love that character. I couldn't, I could hardly yeah, tell yeah, them apart. Yeah, yeah. I was more like, holy fuck. Yeah. <laughs> oh my that God. guy died so ungloriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other one's just Oh, it was crushed. pretty glorious death. He like <laughs> swinging and then just going, Argh! Yeah, but he, he he was the middleman to help all of his friends get across. That's like, true, it but it sacrifice. wasn't like, it wasn't played. Like it wasn't like no, there was like no. intense music But you're right, there is a like little that. bit of, yeah. and not to do a, um, uh, like a, not to, do a clumsy um, comparison, but yeah. the characters in The Hobbit, like the, the those those dwarves in The Hobbit, yeah. are like, if one of them dies, you're like, oh no, the fat one died. Philly, or like, like, Philly, you know, yeah, oh, I don't know who these characters. Yeah, so no, but this felt like less of that for me. In the book, there are only they six die. Of these in, characters. The, in the book, they all die off screen. And you're like, oh okay, because yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like <laughs> it just reads like an account that like someone wrote. It was like, yeah. and then these two people die. No, I felt, I felt, um, I felt, I felt, I felt like, definitely sad for when the fake out and then the real one because of the reaction of all the characters. The reaction did like, it. No, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. especially like, that oh. one guy like blamed himself. I was like, yeah. I didn't feel this, but again, it was more like, oh, they killed a guy. I also, I also felt like it was weighted because I felt like these characters were not people who ever thought that they could die because of their like ah. angelic kind of stature of like God's workers. I was like, oh, their death is like really important because it's like, we never thought that would happen to us. Yeah. I didn't so feel that because yeah. that, that, that was never like, well, you're a cold, heartless bastard. Yeah. yeah. I'm getting out of here. This is the end of the show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what happens next? Oh yeah. Agamemnon. So the time bandits come back and do a performance. Yeah, a cool performance. There's like this massive ball that's chopped in half. All it this is cool. Fruit falls everywhere. That is very cool. Um, I actually want to give a slight shout out to Millie Burns, production designer. She yeah. loved that scene as well. As yeah, that was great. She was amazing. Did an amazing job. Go Ag- on. Agamemnon also is like super chill about Kevin being from the future. Yeah. Because he looks at his camera and he's never like, oh my God, you have a machine that stops time. So I'm how like, does God work through this? Yeah. No, he doesn't. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So he's just like chill about like because he literally he's like yeah. don't you want to go back to your time and see yeah. your father yeah. like you said and so that means he's like comprehended that Kevin is like from a different time and he's got this camera yeah, he's wearing modern clothes he that's he's never chill. 
He, but I think he's he just was like, fighting a minotaur before, so true. He's like, you know, he's, he's like used used some to that. wacky stuff. But I think that's the interesting thing as well. It's like they go through, they make a point about going through actual points in history and then going into the fantasy realm. Yeah. Later, but in this one, it's still the real quote unquote world, mm. like real world history, and he's fighting a, a minotaur. Well, I guess that huh? plays into the idea that it's Kevin's dream. I guess so. Yeah. yeah I guess and also so, yeah. the fact that it's getting more mysterious and the crazy, fact that yeah, Agamemnon yeah. is like, yeah, you're from the future. I don't care. And yeah. So true. in a dream, that would kind of dream be, logic. Yeah. Dream theory. Baby. Dream theory. So the the I love the way the I love the way the time bandits escape as well from that scene. Mm. Instead of wrap him up, they get this curtain thing and they drop it and they're gone. And Kevin don't want to go. No. This is the one stay. time. This is a classic. Again, this is another classic thing from a lot of myths is the hero's refusal to return. Mm. It's like, I found, I like it here. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the Simba thing. The Hakuna Matata days. It's like, oh, oh I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to go back. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. It's like, no, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta go back to fight the fight. You must do this, Simba. <laughs> Kevin. Um. <laughs> uh, so then they go to the Titanic. Yes. That's their next destination. Yeah. I love that scene as well. They're all dressed up in suits. They're feeling good. Even though they haven't like robbed any more treasure. Where do they find those suits, by the way? They always have yeah. the perfect clothing for all of them as they as they go. Again, dream True. logic, I guess. Um, I don't know. This is an interesting point in the film where because at this point we've only understood the, the time bandits to kind of want to just go and get money and pillage things. But then David Rappaport, the guy who plays Randall, kind of explains to Kevin that, like, we're the same, you and I. Like, we, we want adventure. We want this. We want cha- We want to uh, risk it all. We want challenge. We want to yeah. find this, the most incredible object in the universe kind mm. of thing. So that whole mm. plot point comes in there, mm. which feels a little bit random, but I kind of went with it and I was like, this sounds rad. I want to see what this object is. Mm. Uh, which, do we ever find out what it is? Uh, that the evil genius has? Yeah, what's the object? I think it's just a lie. Oh. He's just trying to convince the uh, guys to control? come. Yeah, because he's he's speaking through one of the dwarves. He's like, I have all the treasure here. Come to my lair. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. oh, we've got to go there. And then they get there and it's a trap. Yeah. Yeah. They so they, 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 they are on the uh, Titanic. The Titanic sinks. That's what we do with listeners. We're like, listen to this. We have expert opinions, <laughs> knowledge on film. And then they get like maybe two hours in and like, <laughs> nothing. Nothing, nothing but bits. Said. They called me pig like 20 times. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> ah. yeah. Okay, um, go on. Sorry. But this is interesting because it kind of brings up. So they, they, they. They get into, they plunge into the icy waters of the Atlantic. They're all kind of yelling at each other. They all hate Randall for taking them on this journey. Yeah. And this is kind of representative of how they felt in the production where all the, most of the time banded actors did not like David Rappaport apparently because he oh, was yeah. quite a diva in the sense that he was like, give me another close up. I don't want to talk to these other actors. Like he was not super well yeah. liked, super easy to he, deal with. So in the yeah. scenes I didn't where, like hearing about this stuff. This yeah, I know. Me. I know. I was yeah. like, oh. And I, I honestly, I wondered... I wondered how much of it was in Terry Gilliam's head as well. Yeah, that's um, the thing. We're not throwing shade at he does, uh, old David there, but it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. these are the stories that came out of the set. But yeah, I don't I I haven't heard I mean I didn't look too much into um all those all the time banded actors and, and their takes on it, but I only heard I only heard people paraphrasing something they heard from Terry Gilliam. I couldn't find it. I found one interview where he says it with Michael Palin. Michael Palin seemed to agree. Yeah. So I was like, okay, that, but there might be truth to this. There's some yeah. corroborating evidence here. Yeah. Um, but he also makes a claim where he's like, um, I think he talks about Sean Connery and how good he was as a father figure for Kevin. And I was like, and I think it's because he had troubles with his own son. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Jesus. It's a, a big claim there, Terry. I, I was like, all right. Yeah. So uh, once I read that, I was like, maybe I don't believe the Rappaport thing. Yeah, the, the narrative is a little bit, or the narrator is a bit, a bit mistru- untrustworthy. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like, I mean, there's, you know, 
So it comes up so often you hear this story, so I wonder. They, like you said, they, they kind of go on this last ditch effort to find the greatest object in the universe, mm. and they're in this desert. Um, well, they go on the, they, they get on the ship first with the ogres. Uh, yeah, the, very the, weird the, aside. Yeah, very weird aside. Uh, that's quite funny. And then the, I, I wonder if you saw this. This is the oh. smallest element in Kevin's bedroom. Like you said, throughout the film, you kind of yeah. see elements that kind of are foreshadowed in his bedroom, whether it's the chess set or the rocket ship or oh, yeah. cowboys or whatever it is. Um, when he gets up to, with the flashlight to look and hear a noise, mm. there's a photo or a painting of a boat behind his head. Uh. And as he sits up, the boat sits right uh, on top of his head. Like there's some great like little visual moments that if you're really, really paying attention, you can see them. And so this foreshadows then great. the ogre, the ogre's ship kind of standing up and revealing a huge giant underneath it that is carrying yeah. this, which, which Gilliam confesses to have completely stolen from like a picture book that he read once where it was like <laughs> a giant with a, with a boat for a hat. Um, such a, it makes such a great image and it works so well on the mm. poster. You're just like, what, what? And it's that this thing is, where it's like, I yep, you don't need any more detail. It's just a huge giant with weird yep. tats mm -hmm. who, uh, is got this just, ship on his head with two ogres living on it. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, Why? that's what I wondered. I was like, cause, where does this cause guy wind, exist? You know? Wind clearly influences the boat. Cause the ogre does this massive roar and it like breathes, he breathes <laughs> into the, <laughs> yeah, and it so sets down. Like, so I'm like, does, it's does the giant, just get it. does it's it like, does it like walk to the shore and sort of just like meet up with the boat and then like plug it on his hat? Or is he always, always there walking? Just limply like floating along with the boat. When he feels the wind, is he like, all right, time to move. Right, time and to do they start moving? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Dream so, logic. But they, they, Dream logic. They get a huge, uh, what's, he uses like a, a, what's it called? The I know what you thing. mean. It's like a. It's a thing he used to stoke fires. It's yeah. like a little, it's a, it's like an accordion thing. Yeah. He gets like, one of those and uses it as a bloody syringe to inject sleeping potion into this thing's this head. This is one of the first times where, first times where Kevin's like coming in with a good idea to save the bandits. And everyone's like, yay, Kevin! Oh, I no, think. he can't. No, no, no. Does he not? That's kind of a well-established thing by that point, I thought. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, When else so. does he do it? Um, like, he's, he's he gets along well with Agamemnon and stuff like that. But yeah. Doesn't do anything in the Napoleon universe that I'm aware of. Doesn't he say, doesn't he, uh, uh, in the in the Robin Hood scene, after that, he, he, he has a suggestion. He says, or he does something that saves them from the mind control of the bad guy. Like he? he's Yeah, oh. he says something like, we should... We should do this, or we should oh. like. He says something that kind okay, of. Okay, it's a just when the evil guys are like, "Who's that? Why is he? Can, why is he? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why I can't. He... His mind is stronger. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah, you're yeah. right. It is definitely like his his moment to be like, "All right, I got an idea. Let's do this." Yeah. What do you think they made that weird head scalp out of? The oh, giant scalp. Geez, that's it was so question. gross. Oh yeah. Oh man. Um, Rubber, latex. I guess so. Right? Yeah, I have no idea. Um, but yeah, this then lands them in the uh, this kind of endless desert where they find out, mm -hmm. hey, we're actually. We're actually there. We're actually mm. at the evil lair where they, um, one of my uh, favorite Randall throws a skull and breaks a huge glass dome that they're under and they, they arrive at the big doom castle thing, uh, halls of darkness or whatever it's called. What's that word that means like it's a trade off, um, comes up a lot in filmmaking. Can't believe I'm blanking on this fucking word. Trade off. So it's like, uh, I have to made, I have to, I have to make a sacrifice, sacrifice. I have to make a. Oh, Deal with the devil. Uh, I don't know. So they had a much bigger set piece in mind for this sequence. Uh, okay, uh, right. A bunch of uh, women in this 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 massive sort of spider fortress, and they decided they couldn't they couldn't film the scene. They didn't have the budget for it, so they scrapped it. And they were like, "What else can we do?" Um, okay, desert and an invisible wall. Perfect. That's it. That's all we need. Mm. Um, it's one of my favorite. 
versions Shots. of that word. Maybe if I can figure it out when I'm editing this Trade-off? I, I said that. Oh, is that what you There's a word for trade-off. Oh, fuck. I'm going to find cinnamon. Cinnamon. <laughs> cinnamon. <laughs> uh, trade-off. Yeah. Cinnamon. And then this leads to the final battle in the Fortress of Ultimate Darkness. Concession. Against... Concession's close. Ah, uh, yeah. Concession's it's really probably, close. Probably, that works. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Um... Yeah, this is one of my favorite concessions where it's like, all right, we come to this big thing, so what's the what's something we can use that, that'll work just as well? Trade-off? <laughs> oh, I'm so oh, mad right God. now. <laughs> um, oh, I could just, I could break a thing. I could um, break a glass dome and lead you to the ultimate darkness. I love that shot. It's one of my favorite shots It's so movie, cool, isn't it? That could almost like, be the poster. And and to the point you were making earlier with the tension between the the actors, uh, apparently this was a lot of like pent up action was directed. Yeah, they and were used like, as part of their. They were like, motivation. "We hate you, Randall." <laughs> and Randall was like, oh, "I'm the leader." Yeah, yeah. I love and the way that oh, man, like that shot was so good. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, just, because oh. they wouldn't have had many for that. They would have had, might have had one or two shots for that, and it yeah. was like so perfectly framed. Yeah, yeah. And awesome. the way the glass shatters, and yeah, everything, yeah, the yeah. Slow motion. Yeah. The fact that there's this big bone next to them is like, what yeah. the fuck is that? I don't care. Very the cool. The way the the most of the bandits are all huddled together. So with Kevin and then like Randall's just standing up going, ah! yeah, it's sort of like something out of 2001 almost. Yes. Yeah. 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 I just love that shot. It's yeah. just something about it. I just want it framed and put in my room so I can look at it and go, <laughs> yes, that's, if I can make a movie that encapsulates this emotion, right? Yeah. That's, uh, then I die a happy man. Yeah. I'm going to die so unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I just love that shot. Um, yeah. I love Randall's face. I mean, uh, it's a shame that he may have been a diva, but he, he was good. They were all good. You Rest know, in all... peace, Rappaport. Rappaport report. How's he doing? <laughs> He's still dead. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Can I get a it's report a new on segment. Rapport? It's a new segment called the Rappaport Report. <laughs> we just see how he's doing every episode. It's like, yep, still dead, still buried. Still there. No one's robbed him yet. Anyway. No one's robbed him yet. Um, they go into this massive castle. So the, 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 the invisible wall, the invisible barrier shatters and reveals this massive castle belonging to um, the evil genius. An amazing, mm-hmm. amazing miniature man. This is like Weta workshop level, yeah. like awesome miniature. Of miniature. Um, apparently it was styled after this castle uh, in this book called Gormengast. <laughs> the Gormengast. That sounds rad. Um, three books. Apparently they're fucking awesome. Um, but they don't get they don't get fantasy-ish until like the second or third one. Like the first one's mm. pretty like, this is just a medieval story. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> There's magic. Out of nowhere. Um, so, yeah. like Berserk. Uh, TV series. Uh, manga. Uh, fuck you. Uh, um, yeah, apparently it's styled up the common gas. They go in, uh, the, the, the the cage comes down, they're trapped. Yep. Yeah. They have a great, I love that set piece as well where it's like just infinite Oh, the maze? Darkness, the like, labyrinth. Oh, the no, labyrinth. That, yeah, yeah, the maze, but also just the swinging with the ropes is so really simple. cool. And like that, I don't know um, which I don't know which one it was that like nearly fell and did the fake out death, but he'd be dead. For sure. I think it was the way he swung from Wally that... or Vermin, maybe Wally it was one Vermin. with a beard, or yeah. maybe Strutter. There you go. Either I way. love the way he fell and like smacked against the wall. Yeah. Like he's, he's he done. is jelly, and it was like he is boys. He is jam toast on the wall. Um, <laughs> he is just smush. Uh, anyway, but he survives. Good for him. Um, they get up and then final showdown with evil. All these characters show up. Yep. Cowboys. You can uh, place them in Kevin's bedroom. Tank. You can place them in the history that they've visited. Yep. It's Except rad. Except the cowboys. It's coming it's awesome. out of nowhere. 
I mean, yeah. I'm sure they're in the. I'm sure they. Oh my the god, bedroom. that was one of my favorite scenes where I was just laughing at the creativity of it. Oh. it. Was not only when he turns one of them into a pig, and it's kind of that half pig, half man thing, which was just like running around. so good. But also when Evil uh, gets the cowboys and turns into that like merry-go-round oh, thing yeah. with the knife. And the music It's so good. Oh, it's so twisted. That was amazing. Very very cool. Then there's like set. A lot of death, and then like a literal Deus Ex Machina just comes in and kills evil. Yeah, that's one of my favorite quotes as well. Where Wally, one of the Time Men, says, "Do you mean you knew what was happening to us all the time?" <laughs> and Supreme Being goes, "Well, of course, I'm the Supreme Being. I'm not entirely dim." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, such, yeah so, he was so perfect, so Python. It's yeah, so it really is. Um, yeah. I love yeah. how I love how he says their punishment is they'll be hired again, but like they have a nineteen percent like yeah, yeah. Um, pay cut to their pay, yeah. like, and it's and like, like thank back you, pay thank as well. you, thank you. Going back to the start of time, yeah, as well. So it's like, so, and he's like, well, I am the good one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so then they kind of say goodbye to Kevin in a kind of hurried, uh, you know, um, way because they're going back to work and the adventure's over. Uh, it was all apparently part of the Supreme Being's plan. Mm-hmm. And Kevin wakes up uh, when they're leaving him, kind of this smoke starts to appear, this mm-hmm. kind of like poisonous gas, it looks like, and it turns out it's. It's the smoke from this fire that's raging through his house yeah. uh, in this little British suburbia where his parents' gadgets have set fire to something and the mm-hmm. whole house is an inferno. Firemen burst in. They grab him. They take him out. You see parents, his parents arguing over which appliance they should have mm. you know, saved instead of talking about their own kid. Mm. Uh, and then they open up one of their um, appliances and there's pure evil inside, which is this chunk of the, the evil character who the Supreme Being destroyed. Mm. Kevin warns them t- against touching it. They immediately touch it. <laughs> I they look love, at him and like, oh. yeah, they look, oh, don't touch it. Oh, I'll touch it. And stupid little kid. Hu- yeah, huge he's explosion. About. And uh, yeah. and after a beautiful, probably one take, Sean Connery wink. Yeah, we're out of there. We're, out, we're done. Kevin's it a is free man. Like. George Harrison comes in and sings this off. Ah man, it is a great song. Me and me and my brother, we watched it together. We loved that ending. Yeah, I loved. We loved the music more than anything because it is like, like Kevin. I mean, it is sort of meant to be like a fun ending, like a happy ending in a way where it's like you're free, kid. No one gets to deal with your annoying parents but like he's so shocked yeah he is not and, like, happy at the it's end not like, he, it's not like Sean's like come on kid come with us no, be a fireman they just rock they it just, off they're like, Bye. with the siren still on and then like he's just like oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kevin is, will be okay yeah and he says and he says it as well where he's like um, he's very oh, he's, he, he warns them against it he's like mom dad don't, don't touch, touch it, it. And, they, yeah, and they do yeah. it explode I took that as a bit of a meaning of like uh, they, th- his parents died in the fire. His parents died in the fire when they were trying to save their appliances. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, touched yeah. the appliance, which is pure evil because it represents all Everyone, the things we talked about. Yeah. It's not, you know, so I, I took that as a bit of a continuation of his dream state where he's kind of imagining these things. But really what I think happened is he woke yeah. up and they were already gone. Everyone is so shocked by, um, well, everyone talks about the ending and it's like this big divisive thing where it's like, should it happen, should it not happen, yada, yada, yada. Um, and Terry talks about it being like, it's fun for kids. Like, who cares? Like, we don't need to obey the rules. It doesn't, like, doesn't need to be a happy ending or yeah. anything. But then, like, this is, again, it's such a, this is like one of the most archetypal thing, archetypal things in like all these myths. It's like, like the, it's always an orphan child who goes on an adventure. Mm. This is just done at the end of the film instead of the start. Like yeah. Harry Potter doesn't have parents, goes on an adventure. Frodo Baggins, he probably has parents. We just never see them. So he's ostensibly an orphan, goes on an yeah. adventure. In this, it's just like, yeah, okay, that's, he's still going to be an orphan. We're just going to pop that. 
at the end. In at the end. And it's weird that people are yeah. like get frustrated or, or upset or annoyed by this kind of thing because it's like it's a film. They're not real characters. <laughs> They're not you real. He, no, I can understand if it doesn't work. Yeah, maybe, but it works because it, it's the like it they're works, awful yeah. parents. They yeah. don't deserve Kevin as a child and they don't pay attention to him and they don't listen to him, so they deserve to explode. And Kevin was like, I don't care. I'll stay in ancient Greece. No, know. Kevin was like, Fuck. oh, my parents. <laughs> like, <laughs> he was a little bit right. shocked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like he literally says to Agamemnon, he's like, no, I don't want to yeah, see my dad wanna, again. No. So, you know, he's not too fussed about yeah. it all. Yeah. And plus he's got, he's like, he used, they set up that he could use the map with the Polaroid he has of it. So he's got that. You could probably find another hole and go somewhere else. Maybe. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Adventures of Kevin. He's gonna on. be okay. Yeah. Oh, Kevin. Oh, Kevin. Oh, Kevin. Oh God. You have any other any other things you want to say? I'm done, and I gotta go to the bathroom pretty badly. <laughs> <laughs> um, pretty think? badly. Tyree. Oh, 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 oh. There, I do want. There's a fun pretty fact. Badly. <laughs> Pee yourself. You just want to ah. piss yourself. Wait, you don't watch Peep Show, do you? I shouldn't go into oh, a yeah, bit right no, now. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've seen the scene that you send me where he's like, every Christmas, the turkey scene where he's like, <laughs> I was, it was a joke. I for- Christmas yeah. joke. Yeah. Oh, right. That was quite a funny joke. Yes. <laughs> sorry, Jeremy. Um, unrelated. Sorry to, sorry to do this to you. There's a fun fact I have to round off this podcast, which is that Jonathan Price was originally approached to play Evil Genius. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Um, he he turned it down because he was like, I, I there's more another, money elsewhere. Yeah, he had another role on the cards, which was offering more money. And he was yeah. like, eh, I'm going to do that. But then he, uh, Terry Gilliam would get his revenge by casting him as the lead in his next film, which we will cover next week, Brazil, 1983, mm. I think. Mm. And Jonathan Price gets into a lot of sticky situations. He's doing a lot of stunts. He's hanging from a lot of wires. And anytime he complained, Terry Gilliam would just say, this is what you get for turning down time bandage. <laughs> what a psycho. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a twisted, I can't wait to man. I can't wait to dig more into his his uh, mind and his oh, yeah. uh, films with go deep. next week's episode yep. Brazil. 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 <laughs> Thank you so much for listening as always as we ramble our way through these glorious films of the past. Um <laughs> Listen to, I was going to say, listen to Tripod, but you're already doing that. Uh, listen Hopefully. to us next week Hopefully. with our episode on Brazil. Thank you yeah. again for listening. Share the uh, the episodes around. Tell your friends. Mm. Subscribe. Uh, like the episodes. Rate and review us if you can. Uh, uh, as always, I'm Matt. I'm Tyree. And thank you again to Jack Myers for his beautiful artwork uh, for our design. Go to Jack Myers Design. Dot com dot au for his beautiful artwork. Beautiful artwork. Uh, Amazing stuff. We are so grateful. His, all of the details will be down in the credits of this episode. Um, but, yeah, that's that's us. That's Time Bandits. Thanks mm. again for listening. We are out of time. Oh, Bandits. nice. <laughs> hey, that was good. Let's do that again. Let's get it clean. That's it. I, I was ban- pretty clean, man. Ban- <laughs> <laughs> pretty clean. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Like, let's do it. Fine. Anyway. We did it. It's done. I wish I could go back in time and rewatch this for the first time again. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Beautiful. 
I'm like, that was Lord of the Rings. I wish I could forget Lord of the Rings and watch it again. Oh, yeah. I would want to do that with probably Last Airbender. Oh, that sounds like a a premise to a dystopian sci-fi novel, actually. Uh, There's like a miracle drug that allows you to forget things. Completely erase watching things from memory, like watching watching Lord of the Rings. Go write it. And then, yeah. (laughs) It'll be ready by next episode, people. I want a two-page treatment. I want How you to you pitch feel? it like Gilliam did. What if I, yeah, what if I do pitch it? That can be my challenge for the week. Okay. You do the research. I'll pitch this this novel. Okay. That yeah. sounds cool. Yeah. Um, uh.